Америка. What a place. What a place. What a place. In America, there are mouse holes in every wall. Who says? Everyone. In America, there are breadcrumbs on every floor. You're talking nonsense. In America, you can say anything you want. But most important, and this I know for a fact, in America, there are no cats. Shh. They'll hear you. So, we do a thing at the beginning of the episode where we do the, the we say the name, well, like, welcome to the Bluth, and then the other says it, and then we both say it, but since uh-huh, there's uh-huh. three of us, Ooh. should we have it like, oh, which one Maybe of us should start it? One of us should start it, and one of us should say the second one, and then all three of us say, and nothing but the Bluth. Okay. Right? Yeah. Do you want her on the third yes. or to say the second? So, you should say the second. Is that how we should do it? Yeah. Or should it be you, yes. then me, then all of us? I forget how we did it last time. But it's, you, we alternate you go, Yeah, but I forget what it was. <laughs> you start it. I'll do the second one, and then all like three say, of us. Well, are, are we just going to start it with that? <laughs> are we going to start it immediately with that? Or are no, we no, just, no, just going... start it how you would normally just start a sort of thing. Just be like, hey. Oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to our... All American Tale Revival episode. What? 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 Yeah, and and specifying about <laughs> how we know. Okay, okay, yes. you want to bring this up already? Yes, okay, because so, okay. we already you mentioned okay, fi- okay. because people are going to be confused and think that we don't know anything. Okay, fine. Uh, so today we're talking about an American Tale. Yay! Woo! And also. We're going to talk about an American tale, Five Goes West. Colin, which, Five Goes West, yeah. Which we know is not a Don Bluth movie. Yes. Don't add us. We yeah. know that it's not. Yeah. But <laughs> it's still an important film to us from when we were kids, and it's also one heck of a sequel to this movie. So we wanted to talk about both of them on this episode. But this is a special episode. Yeah, Why, of, Sarah? Of? Of? Of the Bluth. The whole Bluth. And, and nothing, nothing but the blue. Who's, who's that who's third that person? That? <laughs> who's Wait, that? should we introduce her? Ken Soyo. <laughs> so well, Ken Soyo. <laughs> yeah, Yo so no I'm... sé. Hablo espanol solo. Espanol. Si, spengo gavacaru. Wait, no. Okay, so... Uh, oh my God, it's happening. I, I am Dax Schaefer. Oh, I'm Sarah Iyer. And our lovely guest... I am Annalise Nelson. Yeah. Yay, Amazing uh, musician, uh, audio person. Uh, I like that. I like audio person. Audio yeah. person. <laughs> you guys it just did, covers all your bases. You, you know guys I mean? did the, the Percast theme song. We did. You guys have we done did. other theme songs. You've done songs that aren't theme songs. What's the Percast, Sarah? It's about cats and it's a podcast. <laughs> Really? Never heard of it. Anyway. <laughs> Never heard of it. And most of the people listening are probably people who know about it. Can I just point out a couple things before we start? I'm Oh, drinking... that's a lovely uh, Bluth <laughs> Company <laughs> mug that you're drinking out of right yeah. now. <laughs> it says Bluth Company. It's not related to... Uh, it's an Arrested no, Development that's, that's mug. Did you do that on purpose? That is... No, I actually didn't. <laughs> 
I like that's strange. this story. That's strange. It keeps, I just, it's it keeps the biggest, happening. It's the biggest mug, so that's why I took it. That keeps coming up for some reason on our <laughs> the, the mugs I ch- oh oh arrested. <laughs> I can't. I don't know why. <laughs> I just bleached myself. Hey. Use that on episode one. Anyway, so uh, there's oh. a lot here to cover, but before we yeah. get into it, uh, let's ask each other. How are we? <laughs> so, Sarah, how was your week? Well, it's it's good that you're starting with me because I don't have anything interesting to talk about, except that I had a dream last night, and I was actually saving this story for the percast, but whatever, I can tell it on both. Uh, but I had a dream last night. This is the most exciting thing that's happened to me this whole week. I had a dream last night that I moved to a new apartment, and then... I went out somewhere and I came back and the like the rental company had taken my apartment because they needed it for their offices. And I was like, where's my stuff? And they're like, oh, we moved you to the next door apartment and we moved your cats over there, too. And I was like, what? I'm worried. Like, you, you <laughs> touched my stuff and my cat. You moved me to another apartment. So I went over to that apartment and it was like such a nice apartment. It was so big and it had like it had like one and a half baths. I don't even give myself two full full bathrooms. I give one and a half. <laughs> and your dreams. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You have and it, one and a half baths. <laughs> and it had like a fenced in porch and it had all this like storage space. And I went to go find my cats and Samba was in the bedroom and she was in a little shoebox taking a nap because my cat growing up used to nap in shoeboxes and she was in a shoebox sleeping and Tango was licking her head <gasps> and it was really oh. cute and everything was great. But... In the dream, I was still unemployed because I was like, how am I going to pay for this place? I didn't even have a dream in a job in my dreams. As far as I'm concerned, if your dream rental company moved you to a different apartment, then they're going to pay for the difference. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it would have cost any more. But I was like, once I pay the rent and the deposit, I'm out of money. I need to find a job. But it was a really great dream otherwise. <laughs> My cats were really happy. So, Annalise, <laughs> how was your week? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, this week has been great. I had a chance to watch uh, two wonderful films with two wonderful Yay. people. Uh, and, uh, I mean, yeah, it was, I was talking to you, Dax, the other day after we watched these films. I was like, it's so rare to have the opportunity to just, like, sit down with friends in the afternoon and watch yeah. movies. Like, I haven't done that in a very long time. And it was you so fun. You a podcast to do <laughs> yeah, it, pretty I much. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I know. It's like, well, let's 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 do some sort of career endeavor to encourage us to enjoy our <laughs> lives uh, outside of our careers. But, uh, hey. Yeah, if it well, works. Thank you for being a part of this. This was uh, I really fun. almost literally jumped at the chance to talk about Five Will Goes West because it is one of my favorite animated films. Yay! So. Yeah, you've had some great response. Yeah. Well, what is what is your day been oh, like? Okay. Because <laughs> um, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell this quick funny story. Um, I'm eating a cookie shaped like a mouse. So, so by the way, this episode. Yeah, this will be out. Um, but on May 10th there is a Jan Tiersen concert happening in Los Angeles. But and Dax, who is Jan Tiersen? And there's why is... <laughs> very loud garbage pickup in the background. It may or may not pick up on the mic. We it's don't trash know. day. It's trash day. But Jan Tiersen <laughs> was uh, the composer for Amelie, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And he's just an amazing French musician, person. He's not around here often. So anyway, I was like, I want to go get tickets to see this guy, right? And I go online, I look online, and Ticketmaster was at it. I saw, like, tickets are, like, 30 bucks, okay? So I'm like, all right, that, that's not too bad. I'm going to grab two tickets. Well, the Ticketmaster fees are, like, $15 per ticket. Yep. 
So I was like, okay, so it's a $45 ticket. However, the concert was for the Greek. So I was like, cool, I'll just hop on it's over local to, the, to, you. to the Greek. Mm -hmm. So that was attempt one, was going on Ticketmaster. So attempt two was on a Saturday. I looked up that there was a show. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna go there. But I, it was a super busy day and I didn't get there till late and it was past eight by the time I got to the box office while this other show was going on. And the box office closes past eight o'clock, even on show days. So I was like, okay, whatever, I'll try again. I looked at the calendar again the next day. I thought I saw that there was a show. I don't know why I thought there was, <laughs> but I thought there was another show happening the next day. And so I went, I took a picture of like when the hours were, which is they're from like 12 to 8 on show days or from 10 to 4 on Saturdays. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go because there's another show tomorrow. I go there. There's nobody there. Turns out there isn't a show <laughs> There hasn't on been Sunday. a show here in 20 years. that show burned down 40 <laughs> years ago. And so, all right. So that was attempt three. <laughs> and then on Friday, I somebody had told me that they might be open from four to seven. So I was like, like this was some guy in the parking lot nearby. That sounds legitimate. Because I asked him. Some and, guy, you know. And I was like, that's not, some guy. that's not listed on their thing, but okay, fine. I might try it. So I tried on Friday. Turns out there was a show happening, but, but I had some place I was trying to drive up there just to grab the tickets, but if there's a show happening, you can't because you have to pay for parking. You can't get up the hill. And yeah. so I couldn't walk up the hill in time because I needed to be back at my apartment by six. Oh, Jesus, Jack. <laughs> so this is attempt four, right? So this is the fourth time I've tried to go there and it's not worked. The next day on Saturday, <laughs> I go to the Greek theater between the hours of 10 and four when I know that someone will be there. And I walk up to the counter and someone's there. And I'm like, yes, cool. And I, I, I say, hey, I'd like to get two tickets to see Jan Tiersen. And they're like, this is going to end this great, is right? Like, this, is on, this is on May 10th. I, uh, yeah, the concert's on May 10th. And she's like, all right, let me look. She's like, are you sure it's on May 10th? I'm, like, I'm pretty sure. And she's like, oh, it was canceled. <laughs> and I was like, wait, oh, what? No. Wait, what? But, but no, no. And then she's like, oh, no, no, no. See, they moved it to the Orpheum. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> For people who don't know LA, that's a lot farther away. It's like, it's I live yeah. in Los Feliz, so I live right near the Greek. And I was like, no! <laughs> and so I looked online again just to check like, and see that this was true. Yeah, they moved it to the, to the Orpheum. <laughs> and, but now there are no $30 tickets left. All of them were like 50 bucks, and Ticketmaster fees are still 15 so it drove prices. So basically what I wanted to pay for two tickets was 60. Now it would cost like 130 bucks. Oh so my God. I was like, I, I don't know. But I looked up when the Orpheum was open, which was Wednesday, which is today. <laughs> the day we're recording. The day we were recording this episode. And so I get up and I'm like, I, I could probably make it to LA and then to Sarah's in time. So I, I zoom on down to LA make it there pretty quickly within 20 minutes, park right outside the Orpheum in their loading zone. <laughs> so I'm like eyeing my car the whole time, but I like knock on the door and like I can see a guy in the box office. He comes, lets me in. And it's Jan Tiersen. <laughs> it's Jan Tiersen. But I, but I had checked online before I left that there were suddenly two tickets available for like 40 bucks, not 50. And so I was like, all right, be there by the time I get there. So I, I walked up and finally I was like, can I get two tickets for Jan Tiersen? 
you should do you do I'm like do you, <laughs> do you still know who have that two is? <laughs> do you know who that is do you have two forty dollar <laughs> tickets left and he's like yeah all right hold on and printed them out and uh it's like here you go is this and them? i have them in my hand <laughs> oh, here oh yay <laughs> the two tickets that only cost me 80 so i'll take it I'll take it after but you all did of it. that. And you I, did but it. But I did it. And then I, I came here right afterwards, which was an interesting trip because I took the 110 oh, yeah. to get here. Oh, yeah. Love I, that 110. I never. It like leads basically into Pasadena. Yeah. And just kind of becomes it's Pasadena. It's super easy. Uh-huh. It's super easy. Yeah. Downtown of Pasadena is actually really, really nice. I'm so, I was surprised. <laughs> so that was my day. But hey, you know what? At least you saved $10. <laughs> I saved $30. Well, no, because if you had just bought the tickets the first day, it would have been $90, right? Because they were $30 right. with $15 fees, so that would have been true. $90. So you paid $80, so you saved $10. I did. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Ultimately, I saved $10. Yes. <laughs> and I probably got slightly better seats. So, um, but All yeah. All is well that ends Those well? Ticketmaster yeah. fees. Are like ridiculous. It's I know you, that that is like the most. And I mean this with all the love in my heart. Like dad move that you've ever <laughs> yeah. made. It's like I'm not gonna pay those damn fees. I'm gonna walk up to the Greek five times. I'm gonna to go avoid up there. the damn fees. They're not gonna swindle me. They're not gonna get and one past so, the old so, Dax. Yeah. And that's next, not gonna next up, a word from our sponsor, Ticketmaster. Ticket yeah. <laughs> it took six tries to get these tickets, but I got it on the sixth try, which is the important thing. Um, but yeah, like. Uh, the reason I don't like them though is apparently they have in the past they've worked with scalpers from uh, what I've seen from yeah. what I've read and also they will sometimes only release so many tickets so it looks like there's like it's sold out or it's mm-hmm. like close to sold out mm-hmm. and then they'll periodically release more tickets that's true yeah, so that's it's like true. I just don't like their practices I just actually have this image of like a montage of you trying to go to the Greek <laughs> but like underneath <laughs> it is the music of Jan Tiersen yeah. it's like do You hear like a. a <laughs> uh, you hear melodica come in the background. Oh no! It has to be the sad song from Amelie. It has to be like that, the one that you're singing right now. Should I should just cut in Jan Tersen at this point? <laughs> I think people are very confused right now, but that's perfect. So anyway. Uh, should, we should probably get into oh, the yeah, episode. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, before we really start the episode, I have a few <laughs> items of business. Oh wait, where's my sheet of paper? Some oh, here housekeeping, it as yes. it were. Uh, first of all, we want to because this is like the first episode we've recorded since we launched. Since we launched it, yeah, we already so, had the two other two recorded. Yeah, so, so just want to thank everyone for following us at Nothing But the Bluth on Instagram yeah, or following us on Facebook. It's been a great response. Yeah, it's been really nice. Uh, we also wanted to mention that we, uh, if you want to support the show. But like, you know, you don't buy have, our merch. No, we well, don't no, we, don't. <laughs> we have nothing. Uh, but if you click on our Amazon link, which should be in our show notes, which I don't know if it was yeah, like we'll we had some add Amazon links yes. for whatever like movies or things we mention. Yeah. So if you click it and even if you don't buy that thing <clears> that we link to, if you shop on Amazon and buy other stuff, we get a little amount of that. So that's helpful. And it doesn't a cost little, a little kitten size kickback. <laughs> a little oh, kitten I forgot size you guys kickback. knew about that. <laughs> It applies here. There's cats in this that's episode. That's true. Yes. That's true. Yes. Kittens and six bike. Anyway, uh, yeah, just shop High and buy. <laughs> I was there with you. I, I... 
I saw it coming. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so there's that. Um, but also, I wanted to read an email, a couple of things that people have written to us about, specifically, our Secret of Nim episode. Yes. And I thought they were really interesting and really nice. Yeah, there's a so, wonderful email we received. Yeah, I want to read this email uh, from Danielle. And she actually was on the Percast. What's her full name? Danielle Bullis, Danny Bullis. Uh, so she was on the podcast episode 106, titled Insert Cat Here, uh, talking about Jonesy and Niffler, her two kittens. But anyway, that was a great uh, great episode of the podcast, not to promote my other podcast. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. That's her. That was her maiden name oh, her maiden maybe, maiden. or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Okay. I don't know about Sorry, names. Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, but she says, I already tweeted it at you about loving your Nim episode, but I had a few things I just wanted to share with you. I apologize in advance for how much I'm typing up. Not a problem. Hmm. We get a little wordy on this, <laughs> this podcast. Both have been two hours. <laughs> this might uh, be longer. I know. Uh, do you want to read parts of this? Here, sure. read, read sure, this email. All right. <clears throat> Give it to the man to read the woman's email. <laughs> now, you guys mentioned the cool shot of Brisby looking into Sleeping Dragon's eye. I'm pretty sure this shot is recreated in The Land Before Time with one of the characters standing in front of the Sharptooth's eye. That is correct. Mm. I think it's Ducky. I always thought it was a cool moment, and I think Jurassic Park borrowed it with the flashlight on the T-Rex eye. Ooh. Quite possible, since Steven Spielberg yeah. is behind mm, both, both those films. We're we're gonna we're looking forward to the Jurassic Park episode. Um, Jurassic Park. Damn it! I knew I was <laughs> gonna do that. Did it again. I didn't know I if did you did that again. on purpose or we're not. We're looking forward to the Lamb Before Time episode. My God, a little it foreshadowing, was, I, but I yeah, because the words Jurassic Park were in front of me in this email, so my my mind just jumped to it. Anyway, <laughs> looking forward to the park, the whole park, and nothing but Jurassic Park. <laughs> Uh, no, that's Stevens. Uh, that's a, anyway, See, blue bar, right. <laughs> so yes, this was a movie I watched countless times during my childhood, and it was one of my favorites. I always liked the scene where Brisby feeds Timothy the broth that Mr. Aegis gave her. I remember numerous times asking my mom to make me a bowl of packaged instant ramen, but to just put the seasoning packet with the green flakes in and not the noodles because it reminded me of Timmy's broth. Aww. Kids are so weird. That's so cute. <laughs> In third grade, my class read The Secret of Nim book, and I was shocked to find out I was one of the only kids in class who knew the movie. I remember not loving the book because I hated the differences between the book and the movie. I went on to be obsessed with the Red Wall books soon Woo! after. I lived, I lived with a roommate here in Los Angeles for a whole year before I finally mentioned that the hanging lantern in her living room reminded me of the lantern elevator from Secret of Nim, and she yelled, that's the only reason I bought it. Yes. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's so specific. I love it. And lastly, yes, Justin the Rat is hot AF. I had a huge crush on him as a kid. He's kind. He's choked on my teeth. He's kind, but strong and supportive of the heroine and had a great voice. Yeah. I also think the sword fight between Justin and Jenner at the end is one of the best, most tense and satisfying climax fights in a movie, let alone an animated children's movie. The seriousness of it, the dark sky, the mud, and the fact that Jenner's lackey finally betrays him. It's so badass and so beyond anything kids are usually shown in their animated movies. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You guys are great. I can't wait for more episodes. Cool. Yay. Yeah. Thank was, you. That was wonderful. Yeah, that was great. And yes, Justin the Rat is hot AF. Yeah, he is hot AF. Uh, I don't know why I laughed at like the lackey killing Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I like giggled there. I'm like, why did I giggle? There's nothing funny <laughs> it's happening. So there. good, uh, Annalise. You, um, 
just watched Secret and Him for the first time. Yes, right? I did to for, to enjoy this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I would have enjoyed it anyway, so, but to extra enjoy it. Since Nim is also a mouse movie in conjunction with this, mm-hmm. uh, what what was your reaction to? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was beautifully made. I I, I but I also like that animated films are when animated films are a little darker. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there was some element at the very beginning that reminded me of like the Dark Crystal. And okay. I know that they were made like around the same time. I feel like Dark yeah, like Crystal 80s. was like 83, oh, 84. It might have even been the same year. Nim was 82? Well, yeah, because we're going to talk about something related to that. But I think Secret of Nim came out the same year as E.T. And I think the Dark Crystal and both of Dark Crystal and Secret of Nim were overshadowed by E.T.'s release. Because hmm. I was reading that oh, in relation yeah, to... Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But I really liked... I, I liked that it was this perfect blend of... It's both fantasy and sci-fi when you think about Kinda, it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, the sci-fi elements are like, obviously, these these super mice and rats, you know, are being tested. because They become, they're tested on and they become super, but then how they become super is in a very, like, mystical, ethereal, magical way. So it almost blends the two genres. Mm. But then it's also just about, like, a bunch of field mice yeah. in a farm. I, I, I just think that's right. just so, so cool and... Um, and yeah, there was just something very like, you know, it's kind of the opening of like, you, you said something lovely about how you felt about Dongle's oh. animation style. Oh yes. That it just, it, it feels just like home. There's something about it that feels so warm and inviting and welcoming. And, um, because everything is just like this perfect painting. Every, every frame mm. is like a perfect, uh, it, you, you just want to like curl up in it. Uh, and in a, and in it's a cozy. Weird, in a yeah. weird way, I kind of would say the same thing about American Tale, but like, but not Fievel goes west. It, not Fievel goes west. We'll get yeah. there. I know. Wait. I know. I know. Annalise wants to talk about Fievel goes <laughs> can, west. Can yeah. I have plenty to talk about with an American Tale as well? Can I read one more thing? Somebody's Twitter comments to sure, us sure, about yeah, Secret yeah. of Nim that I think are interesting. Um, Susan uh, uh, added us. Added added us on Twitter. Is that what you call? Please yeah. add us. <laughs> uh, but it was really nice. She wrote us a nice uh, message. She was saying, I reread the book last night before rewatching the secret of Nim and wow, they took some dramatic liberties with the storyline in the movie. Her first name, uh, Mrs. Brisby's was never mentioned in the book either. So she just does not have a first name. And thanks for explaining why there was so much Jeremy in the movie. In the book, he is tangled in silver thread, not red. He likes shiny mm. things, but red would show up better on animation. Also in the book, it said that the silver string looked like it was from a Christmas present, but the thaw was coming, so it must have been a few months later, and how irresponsible of them for not disposing of that properly. In the book, there is zero magic and no amulet. Nicodemus is not old. The rats escaped some time ago and spent eight months living in an empty mansion, reading and learning before they went to under the rose bush. Nim taught them to read. Right. So Why is Nicodemus old? Yeah. <laughs> so something that always bothers Well, yeah, me. again, just if you haven't listened to that episode, our first episode, go back and listen. But I definitely have some questions about the ages of the mice and rats and right. how long rats live. And Well, let's not think yeah. about that too hard no. on this one because that'll, that'll break your head. But That's true. But yeah, like I definitely... This was like rewatching two long forgotten dreams for me. Like, mm-hmm. and just like really the whole atmosphere of an American tale is so kind of, it's not, I mean, it is dark and it is depressing, but at the same time, I kind of, I don't know, like, like you were saying, you kind of want to crawl up in it 
in, yeah to some it's, degree. it's cozy animation although in, yeah. it, but in this you want you end up crawling up on like on a street corner <laughs> or in a um, puddle of yeah, puddle. water yeah. um, being like i live here now <laughs> so is that what he says he's like I'm, is that what I he live, says i live here now forget my parents whatever it is <laughs> oh, yeah. but, so for those who don't know uh, historical context wise uh, this movie was the first collaborative effort between Don Bluth and Steven Spielberg. Ooh. And Steven Spielberg wanted for a long time to start an animation, uh, like wanted to make animated movies. And this was his first foray, right? Yeah. Yeah, this was the first time he kind of like tried to make an animated film. Oh, and so, did you see that it was Universal's first animated picture since 1965's yeah, what Pinoc- was it called? Pinocchio Pinoc- in Outer Space. Yep. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Pinocchio in Outer Space. Uh, I wish I'd written what? down the description that of it because it was hilarious, no, but... We'll, we'll include a link and yeah. that's it. But, um, but so yeah, Universal hadn't really done any animation. So Steven Spielberg's like, I'm going to do this. Right. So this was 86 that mm. this movie came out. You weren't um, born yet. I, I was... wasn't born yet. It was a year until I would be born. But but yeah, this is an American tale about a young uh, immigrant mouse, a family of immigrant mice. Um, the main of my... Bleh. Why am I not being able to say words? The main mouse of which... <laughs> of the mouse of which... You saw where I was going. Of the mousekowitz. <laughs> <laughs> is Fievel Mausewitz, uh Fievel named after Steven Spielberg's grandfather. Huh. And there's Aww. actually a part. Obviously, these are Jewish mice. Uh, very obviously. Um, there is a moment in the film that apparently happened because of a story that Steven Spielberg's grandfather had told him about how sometimes the Jews who were in America could only learn by sit by sitting outside of classrooms and oh, listening wow. in on the classrooms that were going on. So there is a scene in the movie where Fievel looks in on like a classroom of American students mm. hearing, you mm. know, like hearing the lessons. And that's based on a story that uh, Spielberg's grandfather oh, wow. told him. Oh, so, and apparently the name was a, a, a slight point of argument between mm. Don Bluth and him where Don Bluth thought it was going to be maybe too weird having such a foreign name for the main character. And Steven Spielberg eventually won out arguing for it to be Fievel, but... It's like, it's my grandfather's yeah. name, you asshole. <laughs> you don't win an that's argument the, with Steven that's Spielberg. That's the <laughs> argument. Like, yeah. there's no other reason. Yeah. But, but there's a part, partly an acknowledgement of this in the movie with the one character calling Fievel Philly, which is sort of in ref... It's slightly a, like a behind-the-scenes reference to them having that kind of Well, debate. also, that was what... Um, <laughs> I read that the... the the kid who did the voice of Fievel, his Phil name was Philip, and I think Phil they Glasser. called they were calling him Philly, or somebody called him Philly, mm. and they overheard that, and so they oh. used it. Oh. They uh, overheard him. Actually, I found this on IMDb trivia. The actor for yeah, Philip Glasser, was discovered by accident by Bluth and and the crew when they overheard him auditioning for an Oscar Mayer commercial. Wow! <laughs> and he he stayed the voice of Fievel. I think through all the movies and through the TV series. Oh, even the did. okay. I know yeah. he was he was five in the sequel. Oh. The three and four. There there are also two other five <laughs> sequels besides that. We're one, not talking about which are interquels because they take place between one and two because oh, they're still in New York. Interesting. Oh. Anyway, we're not going there. So, yeah. <laughs> so I've talked a lot. Someone yeah. else take the mic. Okay. <laughs> so just some history about the Bluth Studios. So. 
in 19 so we already talked about in 1979 don bluth productions was the name of the production company mm-hmm. it became the bluth group the bluth group became the bluth, bluth man, man group, group. <laughs> i got that one <laughs> it was never called the bluth company as noted on my mug as your mug would uh, state but in 1984 the bluth group went bankrupt which mm. i think was because of the video game uh collapse yeah I, because they were doing a lot game. of video games yeah and there was that whole thing did dragon's lair and space ace take place be- between uh i think dragon's lair and space ace had come out maybe but the reason dragon's lair 2 t- took so long to come out was because of that right it wasn't so, released till years later yeah so in 1985 american businessman morris sullivan teamed up with them to make sullivan bluth mm-hmm. and uh apparently he really liked uh traditional animation I read a couple different things. One of them said that he was persuaded to finance the company by a golf partner of his, which I, I don't know how you would find that information. That's interesting. Uh, the other thing I read was that I think he just liked Secret of Nim, or they showed him Secret of Nim. Oh, yeah, yeah. They screened Secret of Nim for him, and he said, I'm your guardian angel or something. Like That's such uh, a schmoozy <laughs> producer thing to say. Hey, I'm yeah. your guardian angel. Uh, but, yeah, I think he was just, like, a big fan of animation. He was a rich businessman, and he's like, what am I going to do with all my money today? And he decided really? to... So yeah, that started mm-hmm. with him? When did Spielberg Well, and, and then Spielberg approached Bluth... Uh, so they were already Sullivan Bluth and Spielberg came in and he's like, Hey, I have this idea about a mouse family emigrating to America. And he said, and this is a quote from probably, I think the Wikipedia page, make me something pretty like you did in Nim. Yeah. That's (laughs) a very Spielberg (laughs) kind of thing to, apparently uh, this was interesting. I found that, uh, Spielberg, they originally were thinking of making it more like Robin Hood where the characters were basically people that looked like animals oh, interesting that would have been interesting but then don bluth showed uh spielberg the rescuers because he said he wanted it maybe to be more like the rescuers where it was mice that was like an underground culture that lived mm-hmm. alongside the humans that were in the movie so, which i love which i like too yeah um and bluth actually worked on both those films yeah so uh and that's more like secret of nim too is you still have the people yes and also the robin hood thing would be more like an anecdote that we want to bring up, which is, uh, it'd be hard to talk about this movie without bringing up a famous Ooh, comic, which mm-hmm. is Art Spiegelman's Mouse. Yes. Um, these are very different stories, but they are both about Jewish mice. Yes. And uh, enemies in each respective thing are cats. Yeah. <laughs> in Mouse, it's a lot more, um, they're basically just people. Like, and it, and the, the animal thing is more more of a just a straight metaphor Mm -hmm. in this in the american tale it plays around with them being small and being and being yeah they're actually mice yeah and there are real mice and mouse so i reread mouse yesterday oh yeah uh but like yeah there's real mice and rats and you're like wait a minute it's like what's (laughs) going it's like like goofy and pluto and you're like yeah yeah yeah. what's going on here exactly it's like a shot in fantasia 2000 where donald duck is noah or it's like he's helping Noah and his ark get animals on the ark. And then two real ducks walk by past Donald. And you're and he does a double take. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a second. Let's pause. But um, no, Mouse is, um, for those who don't know, Art Spiegelman's a comic artist. And he documented his father's story about surviving um, Auschwitz. And um, it's, kind of, it's a miraculous story. Yeah. And it's, you know... I'm sure he's like bent it here and there for the sake of being a comic, but it's 
pretty much true. I mean, it's like, horrifying. It's a horrifying and very personal account of what they went through uh, during that time in Europe. And also uh, kind of just a sad story about his father, yeah. his relation to his father, too, and kind of himself. So highly recommended. But what's interesting about Mao's is it started in uh, 80? Was that, yeah. was that correct? That they, so he started writing it in I, in, I believe, 1980. It started oh, yeah. First chapter came out in 1980. Yeah. So that's when it started yes. publishing. He was still doing the chapters, which were being released uh, periodically mm -hmm. in, uh, I forget which magazine. Oh, some but, magazine, yeah. But the, he found out about an American tale, or so supposedly like he knew this was happening. And in order to avoid comparisons... Or in order to avoid being told that he was ripping off American Tale, he actually ended up publishing Mao's in two halves. So he, he, that's why there's a Mao's one and a Mao's two, because he wanted to make sure that he got to the publication date with his actual book version before an American Tale came out. So it, a mouse beat an American tale by three months, wow. making it to store shelves. Yeah. So I kind of love that. It's like almost very, <laughs> like a little bit bitter, but he's like, no, I'm coming. Out, I'm, I'm going yeah. to no, get I there get first. It, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would do the same thing. <laughs> and then I, I don't think mouse two came out until what? 90 or 91. Somewhere. Something like that. I think yeah, 91 I'm, like, or think something. 91 is when the second volume came out, but what a smart, yeah. what a smart move. Like, and that is interesting because you suggested <laughs> that we like reread it for this. But yeah, I also didn't know that connection to American Tale. Just like, you know, just the connection of they're all mice. Right. But then there's an actual connection. There was a literal, with like, Tale. there was an actual historical thing that happened between these two things. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting, but they're completely different. And, and yeah. one uh, American Tale is about Russian, uh, Russian Jewish immigrant mice to America. And yes. Mouse is about. The like the all the all the different mm. people affected by the Holocaust, but specifically focuses on a Polish Jewish family and what happened to them. Um, wonderful read, highly recommend yeah. it. It's very different <laughs> yes. from, from this story, but it is anyway. But they all have mice. That's um, the takeaway from this. Uh, yeah, and we'll post we'll post some pics. I forgot to bring my. I have a signed copy of the second one, and I forgot to bring it. <laughs> Mine's from like I, I mean, must you, you want you want everyone to 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 hear that. <laughs> to hear that. No, but like. The funny part is it's not signed to me. It's signed to someone else because we found it in a used bookstore. No, but so you know like what? I mean, this, like is, this, is kind of a, this is kind of a tangent, but it's like when I pick up records, like I actually prefer to have a record that's that's written on or torn a little bit or worn in. Um, I love it when it has somebody else's name on yeah, it. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Mine is from, it says high school textbook, San Francisco public schools. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. This should be read in school. It's schools. history. It's yes. got history with it. Mm -hmm. And that's what all of these films have is yes. history. Uh, history. But going back to history of the Blue Studios, I did want to say that this is where they first started doing stuff in Ireland. Yes, the Ireland studio. Yeah. So I guess they, uh, I think because there were like tax incentives to do stuff in Ireland, so it was cheaper. That makes sense. And I think they wanted to move the whole production there, but then I guess Spielberg didn't want an American tale made in a country that's not America. Well, so hold up. <laughs> because wasn't Fievel Goes West? It was in that part of Amblimation, which wasn't based in Whoa. London. Yes. We'll get, yeah, we'll get, we'll get <laughs> I, to I'm the... I'm sorry. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but you're right. Out the hypocrisy. Uh -huh. Yes. As it was happening. We'll get to, exactly. we'll get yeah. to the whole budget there fiasco. There is a lot of hypocrisy. Um, but I was reading that... The, uh, was, that I believe this... it was a $9 million budget for an American tale. Yeah, and, and it had an impact on the emergence of an Irish animation industry. 
which is interesting. Like yeah. this affected the Irish animation industry. And I found there are which two, still is a thing. There are two Irish animation podcasts that I just wanted to mention. Like I haven't really? listened to them. Well, one is called flipped and I didn't really look into it that much, but the other one, when I was like looking for, I was trying to find our podcast on iTunes and like oh, just they searching. Have, they have an episode. There's an episode on Don Bluth. I it's called that. the hack Inc podcast. And their first episode is on Don Bluth and the rest of it's on like Irish animation, but that just shows it's like, that was such a, an important part of Irish animation. Do they cover like the secret of cows? And I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> I we should check that one out because it's very interesting. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So um, the budget for this. So the budget for American Tale was larger than Nim, I believe. Like, yeah. Some, so like maybe it was like a few million more. So mm-hmm. this was like a 9.6. Yeah, it was like a no, it was a nine million dollar budget. And it, in box office, it made eighty four point five million dollars. Wow. So it was a success. Yeah. At the time. It did really well. Apparently, some critics didn't like it. <laughs> you know, uh, just two, you know, lesser known critics called the uh, last names, I think, were what? Seabird uh, and Iskel. Something like that. <laughs> no, Something so close found, to that. We found a video I, online of so Siskel and Ebert funny. reviewing this film, uh, Rest Their Souls. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> but we they, can, we're not talking shit about them. Yeah, no, we used to watch saying. them all the time. I, I like them. I, that felt like a very R Woosh review of an American Tale, <laughs> like where it just was like, "What? Like, I don't think you got this movie." No, at what all. I think, I, well, it just seemed like a very basic review because both of them are both like, "Kids, they want happiness, yeah. and this isn't a happy this film." This is so depressing. Kids like it's to go to the like, movies for like sparkles and shit. Yeah, and, and there's no sparkles sparkly. and shit. Well, and they here. were saying like, clearly this movie is supposed to be for kids because it's got animated mice. It's like, no. It's very weird, like, but it's lines very 80s. It's a very yeah, 80s yes. way to look at animated movies. They, and they obviously were wrong because like, so many people in the comments of that one video on YouTube are just like, all like, I disagree. Like, there's just tons of people, like, well, stating it, it's that. it's just especially <laughs> funny because I remember growing up feeling like Siskel and Ebert always were disagreeing. Like, that was oh, their yeah. thing. Uh-huh. Is that it, like, the, that's why the two thumbs up rating system was such a big deal because yes. if they both agreed you on something. that's why we have, like, a thumbs up, thumbs down kind of system on social media? Maybe. Is because of them? Maybe. Well, or is it from, like, the Romans? <laughs> <laughs> well, who popularized uh, it more, I really, ask you? Really. Siskel and Ebert. What did the Romans the ever do? They were like, well, they gave us thumbs up, thumbs down. Well, the numerals, yeah, the Roman numerals. Well, apart from that, what did the Romans ever do for us? No. This isn't a Python podcast, but we'll get to one of the Pythons oh. later. But, uh, but just generally speaking, I just thought it was hilarious that they were united yeah. on their hatred for this film. They were like both like, I know, like it the whole review so is them being like, didn't know what it wanted to be, and they're, they're I'm like, actually, I think it knows exactly what it. I mean, oh. and I have problems with this film. Right. I have problems with this film, right. but I think it definitely knows what it is. Yeah. I just yes. don't think that it executes it plot wise. All right. It's just like little, story, the, the, it's a little messy. It's editing and uh, okay. storyline wise. It's a little, the timeline's yeah. a little funky. I wanted to bring this up. The thing that American Tale did that drove me nuts while we were watching was like, an event is taking place. This thing happens and fade to black. Mm. New scene. Stuff happens. And then fade to black. Like it kept doing these like fade to black transitions that I don't know, just kind of like drove me a little nuts throughout the film. So you probably really liked Five Look Goes Away. Yes. Because it had a kind of a stronger trajectory, (laughs) shall we say? I just want to, I want to upfront say that I think I have a slightly different opinion than you guys because I have issues with Five Look Goes West story. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think stylistically it's, it's really interesting and great, but. 
I mean, it does some really, really maybe cool the, stuff. But maybe the story, uh, the story of American Tale is like maybe a more significant. Yeah, and well, I think it has more thing. motivation. It's just a more solid story to me. Yeah, I can I can get behind that. Yeah, but um, yeah. Oh, uh, just about the Siskel we and Ebert. We, well, we weren't losing steam there. <laughs> no, no, no. But, but I just want to say that Ebert said that this is the most downbeat children's movie since Return to Oz. Has he seen Return to Oz? That is some weird shit. <laughs> I think he's being hyperbolic. I, I think guess. that he must be comparatively being hyperbolic because come on now. I guess. I don't know. And then Siskel said the animation is passable. Excuse yeah. me. What were you watching? And I don't understand. It's not full animation. Yeah. What does that what mean? Said. I didn't well, understand what he meant by that. I think it means because there's there are a lot of like holds in an American Tale where like characters aren't moving. I'd like to see him try and do half animation. I will say. I will before, say. Wait till you see flash animation. It was, it was a little distracting. And this is not. I fucking hate criticizing any a, a trade that I cannot do myself. But here we are. So, uh, <laughs> but there was that scene where, where were they? Where they were with Madeline Kahn's character. Yeah, the German. And they're the in German that scene. And, and it was like, there were all of these mice behind her that were just not moving. Yeah. And it, it was very distracting to me because they looked like statues. And I understand it Cost would take. effective. I'm right. just like, then measures. can we just like, maybe like put them way in the background? Yeah. Like, far in the background so they can be there and they can be immobile but they're not because they were right there it, it, they were almost part of the foreground and i found it really distracting because mm. I, I understood the reason why and i'm not an asshole but just from <laughs> just a, if someone watching it i was like are they supposed to be real like what, what is that what i think i don't know what i think happened because i think nim for how epic nim is it sort of knew what to attempt Yes. This film, I think, was more ambitious. It's trying to be bigger, but it didn't have enough of a budget like to it has, be... It has a whole, like a whole scene with a ship rocking on the ocean yeah. with a storm going on. And I, I, there was a lot of rotoing or weird, like, yeah. maybe xerography techniques they were using to, mm -hmm. like... Because they were basically... They, that's when they... Like, did you see the basket looked weird at one point when they got Ooh. into some basket that, like, lifted them up? It, it almost looked like it was pretty much, like, filmed. And they used the film as heavy reference or maybe mm -hmm. even like kind of manipulated it to look like it was animated. Well, even when we were watching it, Annalise, you mentioned that the people looked different. Yeah. And I think it was like because they were roto. I don't know if there was roto, rotoing, but it looked like there was really heavy referencing. Yeah. Which happened in Nim too. There was like really, yeah. there Which was I really liked. strong referencing yeah. for the humans. And I did, and I did like that. I mean, I brought it up as a, as a positive point. Mm -hmm. Like I enjoyed that the humans looked more surreal than the mice. I think that the, there's more emotion on the face. They're of more the realistic. They're more, it's almost like because the, the focus of the story uh, is, is the story of the mice uh, that there there's, there's just more dynamic things happening in their interactions, their expressions. Whereas the humans are just kind of like, I'm human. I'm here now and I'm moving. And you just, they're just kind of doing their own thing and minding their own business, which is perfect because that's not the focus of the story. So I actually right. liked it, whatever that was, whether it was rotoing or if it was just referential, uh, to live film. I, I thought that that actually having the two, honestly, they were like two different animation styles and that helped differentiate that. Like yeah. these are yeah. humans and these are mice, but the, the human emotions lie in the mice. So yeah, uh, I liked it too. I just realized we should, in case someone hasn't seen the movie, we should set up a little bit the, what happened. Oh. Yeah. So it's, it, it starts points. Yeah, it starts in Russia um where the whole family is sort of just talking 
about what I don't remember what they're talking. They're just having a lovely conversation. The father is like talking to the kids, and he gives Fivel his hat, oh, whose yeah. hat his father had, and his father's father had. <laughs> it's a new hat. It's a new, <laughs> it's a, it's a new hat, and it's it's as iconic, too big for his head hat that he wears so cute. throughout the whole movie. And then they're attacked by. <laughs> By lots of Russian cats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's people who burn down the village. This is how it, this children's movie opens, uh, is with their home being ruined. Mm-hmm. Um, Which so, was happening. I mean, I because I'm really bad at history, but I did look this up, and apparently that was happening a lot in Russia in the 1800s. So in case people don't know, that was... Uh, well, and think. really quickly, that was a point of contention in the... Uh, in the inner or the the review by Siskel and Ebert is that they were saying that they didn't go far enough to oh. talk about the Jewish heritage of the Mouskowitz is that they weren't that the studio wasn't brave enough to just embrace it but I'm like but the mice may not like understand that it's because they're Jewish mice that yeah. these these cats are coming after them they're just being terrorized mm-hmm. so I don't think it needs to be that literal for it to translate and for kids it doesn't need to be that literal but then for the adults it's something that obviously an adult's going to watch and understand well they're being persecuted because of their religion and their culture and that's why they have to flee but it's not necessary to a kid a kid's just going to be like oh it's cats and mice and the the cats are bullies and they're trying you know yeah and Eber was like oh it's too dark but then again make it darker and explain it (laughs) make it darker and you get mouse yes yeah Uh, but like yeah and and again, there is the beat of him sitting outside the school, not being able to go in. Mm-hmm. Just like, which that that is that's a direct thing that happened to the Jews. That's in the movie, whatever. Well, yeah. and so, the thing where they make them change their last name, yeah, or not them, but that other that, family. That's true. When they come through customs, um, on both the people customs and the mouse customs, they they change people's names. Name, Smolodny Dromovichki. Okay, Mister Smith where they're saying, all right, Mr. Smith, and yeah. would, would change any name that was too hard to say. And so. Tanya's first name was changed. So, so far. Okay, so. Tilly. Yeah. Tilly. But yeah, Fievel has has an older sister and a younger baby. You don't know the gender of this baby until Fievel goes west, but. Oh, that's true. He does have a younger sister. And. And I heard, because I remember, she, like, the baby kind of goes missing. It's like, it yeah. just isn't there. And I think some stuff was cut out. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah I think at one point that. we were watching yeah. this. Where, and I was like, where's the Who's watching the yeah. baby? Like, who's watching the baby? Um, but yeah, so yeah, they come over. They come over from. I, I like that they have to stop. It shows that they have to stop in Germany to get on a boat. So they like show the whole trajectory of their trip. They end up in uh, in New York because the promise is that there are no cats in America, and there's a whole song about it, <laughs> and they sing it on the boat. There are no cats in America. Our family was traveling through the snow to Minsk. Suddenly Papa saw those huge paw prints When I heard him screaming I fainted dead away And I woke up an orphan (gasps) But 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 there are no cats in America And the streets are paved with cheese After we watched it, Dax came over and we were listening to the vinyl. Yeah, so this was cool. We found, uh, Sarah and I did like a treasure hunt kind of yeah. for a bunch of blue Well, you stuff. found that vinyl somewhere. Uh, yeah, so you actually weren't with me that yeah. time. But what was funny was I, I went to a place called The Record Parlor, which is not, which is like a block away from Amoeba Records. Um, 
in Hollywood, and and the uh, they is just a store basically of, of vinyl and, and like a few tapes. But I was flipping through the soundtracks, and I just found the vinyl pressing of an American Tale, and it really kind of looks appropriate as a we have it leaning on the TV yeah. right now, but it it it's, looks appropriate as a vinyl record because it has like the, the poster image of five getting off the boat which is not canonical to the movie yeah, because yeah. the statue of liberty is not finished when he first gets there well also he, and didn't also he doesn't arrive on a, a, yeah, he doesn't boat. arrive on a boat he arrives in a bottle it's boat. still an amazing poster <laughs> yeah it's super yeah. iconic and i love how the feet like the mm-hmm. people's feet are really realistic and he's kind of this slightly cartoon element yeah. and the color choice is like is spot on oh it's beautiful but it's not canonical (laughs) but that's fine there's plenty of posters that even the color scheme is very much of like it looks very monet-ish which is an artist that would have been i believe around at the time obviously it's french but like it's at the time so i like that it's like everything about it is of that era and we should look up sorry we should should we look up who did the if we can find who did the american (laughs) tale poster we probably should insert here (laughs) will we know who it is the american tale poster was done by Hello, Future Dax here. The legendary Drew Struzan, who was responsible for over 150 movie posters, including Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Hook, Back to the Future, Blade Runner, Harry Potter, Big Trouble in Little China, and of course, the Crocodile Hunter Collision Course. Sarah, future Sarah. What? Crocodile Hunter? I love that guy. He was so great. And the poster is probably <laughs> really good too. Also, I, his signature is very obviously on the poster by the like the heel. Wait, I don't see it. It's over by. Okay, it's like the heel of the boot oh, before well, Fievel. I see it now. That's not obvious. It says it says eighty six. <laughs> you can see his signature. It looks right like there. a little thing on the side of the. You can't tell, but it's was, neat once you do spot it. He it's was really responsible cool. for for both posters. Um, also, special accommodation to the Five Goes West poster, wh- whom I couldn't find the artist name for. But also, Sarah, Sarah, I forgot to tell this story during the podcast. When I got this this vinyl record from that store, from the record parlor, um, the guy said to me, "Oh, this film had me bawling like a child when I was a kid." <laughs> so I don't know why it is, but every time we bring up these movies, people start crying to us. Aww. Anyway, back to your regularly scheduled programming. <laughs> wow, I didn't know what? that. You're so <laughs> smart. <laughs> so, but we, yeah, we went over and listened to the soundtrack afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was, I, that was wonderful but what was really fun about it is we were listening to that song no cats in america with my cat in the room and i <laughs> felt a profound sense of, of of guilt and felt horrible and he was like hiding under the the oh. table and i was like i feel this is this feels so wrong because yeah. he's my baby <laughs> and anyway there's there's it clearly was, a cat it was adorable. bias yeah. in this but uh yeah but the music for an american tale and for five will goes west uh is by james horner and we all know James Horner, right, Sarah? Yeah, he did all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know he's like a very uh, famous like movie score yes. composer, but what else has he I'm done? Look up his entire... While, yeah. while Annalise is bringing up a whole uh, discography, Boop filmography, <laughs> which one should I use for this? Well, no, because which one do I use That's when true. I'm talking about a film composer? Do I say yes, filmography or discography? Fiscography. Fiscography. <laughs> 
Phil, Phil's Dilmog- so, filmography. <laughs> no, but apparently, a bit of trivia, Jerry Goldsmith was the composer for Secret of Nim, mm-hmm. and I think they were going to use him again for mm-hmm. American Tale, but he was apparently busy. And Bluth had found out about um, James Horner because I think James Horner, ag- James Horner's agent or publicist, some person who was helping him was trying to like get him the Nim job. Oh, at the time. and uh, and so he had found out about him through that, and so then it was like, okay, well, let's reach out to him for this, and um, it's a. All right, are you guys ready? Yeah, we yeah. are. You guys, oh, it's, it's a so lot. many. It's, it's a, a lot. lot, but, but I wanted oh, to man. have a list here. Fuck, it's I don't know if I can even <laughs> read all these. He did a lot of the Star Star Treks, mm-hmm. uh, Aliens. I think did he do the first Alien? I'm trying. I have to look. I know he did Avatar, right? Um, move this much later. So he didn't do he Alien. Died. He did Aliens. Well, just on James Cameron note. Um, yes, on a James James Cameron note. Uh, he also did The Land Before Time. Mm-hmm. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Ooh. He did Glory. He did uh, The Rocketeer, which I love. Oh. Um, he also did, and this is like early on, so obviously early nineties. Um, Hocus Pocus. <gasps> he did We're Back. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about We're Back. Legends of the Fall, Braveheart, Casper, Apollo 13, Jade, wow. Jumanji, Balto. Uh, that was all like in the same year, by the way, um, which is why I read it so fast. Titanic was his biggest uh, success, which and did he win? There's there's actually a yes, slight he, connection he, here. He, wo- he won the Oscar, the Golden Globe, and the, Gro- the Grammy for, uh, for his score for Titanic. He uh, won uh, a Grammy for the song for this, too, I believe. Oh, oh yeah. That I think. Makes sense. I think, like, yeah, for... Um, for the main song for oh, somewhere well, this says, oh, it out won, there. won two Grammys and nominated for an Oscar. Okay, cool. Was it the Oscar? Okay. Yeah. So and yeah, he also he did The Mask of Zorro, one. Mighty Joe Young, Perfect Storm, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Finding Forrester. I mean, just like a beautiful mind. Like, I mean, it just, it goes on and just on everything. and on. Um, Troy, I mean, you know. <laughs> and a, a <laughs> you weird, <know>? that. Troy. <laughs> a weird connect for, for the. Uh, and yes, Avatar in 2009. For the soundtrack of, uh, or for Celine Dion is apparently they were going to cast Celine Dion for the single for Five Goes West. And uh, they ended up, I think, I think she even recorded it. And then they they went really? and asked Linda Ronstadt to do <laughs> that one again because I, I don't think they liked it or something. Oh, <laughs> so they just went back <laughs> to her. And Linda Ronstadt did the both the pop singles for... for and for I was trying to do that like very movies. like... I can't do Celine, but it is very like... I don't want to say it. it's going to sound mean. It's We're sound waiting. Mean. I don't want it to sound mean because I love her. Anyway, it's different. It's unique. But it's they, unique. I, yes. They felt it wasn't appropriate for the sequel mm-hmm. and they got Linda back for the second one. So there would be a consistency between the two movies. So yeah, I'd say the most consistent thing about the two movies is, is, is the, the music score. And I mean, the, score. The, the, the music between the two is just absolutely beautiful. Um, you know, his use of leitmotifs is just amazing you know exactly what character is like what piece of music is relating to which character it's it, it's so self-referential it uh it's very emotional and but it reminds me because he to me and he and a and john williams what they do really well is they're able to take very simple melodies and just hit you right in the heart and that's yeah. what is so effective you don't need a lot of sweeping scores to uh or sweeping score elements it's really if you just play it on a piano it'll hit you just as hard as if you have like a full string section with you know woodwinds and all that jazz right you know and i i actually i this falls into this is weird because i think i brought up on like one of the earlier episodes the whole 
my problem with musicals when they're not full musicals. And this isn't a full musical. Yeah, I was going to say. But it has a lot of, yeah. It's a half musical. But I think because James Horner's score is so present throughout the movie that it doesn't bother me as much in this Because it fills in the parts where it's not a musical. Yes. So it, it does, even though it's a little jarring when they when they start singing sometimes like the whole somewhere out there sequence, I, I still kind of am there with it. And I, and that is very, the songs in this are very touching. And, uh, and I, I kind of love, yeah, like I, I liked hearing them again. Cause it's been so long since I had heard, uh, a lot of these songs. I completely forgot about the whole French, uh, never say never, never again, <laughs> which apparently was Chris Plummer as Henry. Yeah. The French Henri, pigeon. Henri, Henri. So, oh my God, I don't know how to say French. I'm so, sorry. So yeah, we get, let's get back to the plot a little bit. So oh yeah. He, he <laughs> oh yeah, we we'll Okay, Henri. so he's on the ship and then because Fievel is like a, yeah, a young- Yeah, to America. He's they're a young man. He's very curious. Immigrating. He wants to see, He immigrating. it's like the storm's coming down, but he he sees that there are fish above the deck and he there's like a thing earlier where his dad's talking to him about fish. So he wants to see fish. So his dad's calling for him to be safe, but he like runs up the stairs and then he ends up flying overboard because it's a fucking right. crazy, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too late. We, <laughs> anyway. You, thanks for the E. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> so, I like how in video games, E is for everyone, yeah. but on podcasts, it's e like... Is explicit. It's explicit. <laughs> what do you Let's do? get explicit on this podcast. Get, you say... <laughs> fu- well, shit. We, we've already broken it, so... Hey, bitches, isn't that what... <laughs> I hope no kids are listening to this podcast about, about kids' animation. movies. About uh, this dark kids' movie that Ebert said wasn't for kids. <laughs> so he falls... Don't tell your parents. ...off the boat and somehow manages... It's to his f- fault. And it's his, totally yeah. his fault. Because he throws his hat. He like, his father's telling him, don't go, don't go. And then. He, Lost my hat. <laughs> he, he purposely throws his yeah. hat to like give himself an excuse mm-hmm. to go up there. So he deserves what happens to him <laughs> is yeah. what I'm trying to say. I mean, totally. He I deserves mean, to live in poverty and be yeah. taken advantage of. <laughs> so uh, he ends up, he miraculously survives this like crazy maelstrom in the middle I of thought you the said maelstrom. maelstrom. I heard maelstrom. I heard I heard maelstrom as well. <laughs> I meant to do that. Yes. Yes. And he ends up in a bottle. He ends up in a bottle and uh, I hope that someone gets which, by five by the, in a bottle. bottle. <laughs> <laughs> which by the way, when that bottle was floating, you mentioned it looked like Disney, and I agree. It was yeah. so pretty the, the bottle very, floating in the water. Very classic Disney. Oh, sorry, Siskel, is that not good enough for you? Million Um this movie is about being alone. The Yeah, this all fits, you guys. There are fits. no tangents in podcasts. We bring up, no, this is the first I brought up Death Cab for Cutie in the name episode. We and we had reason to bring up ELO in the second one, but oh, yeah. I, we're gonna always bring up pop music. Yeah, which and it's weird because pop music is maybe a good opportunity oh, for someone here to, to, mention to plug that you're the host of, of popular music, the podcast. I am one of the we hosts. have also been on as yes. guests. You both have been guests on popular music. Yeah. The podcast. It's only our third episode and we're like doing a crossover <laughs> here. Hey, so man, that's ahead. what's fun about podcasts is it's like your buds and you're like, hey, you want to be on my podcast? I'll be on your podcast. Let's yeah. do this thing. Um, So so five arrives and he's greeted by this like very like lovely French. My little immigrant. <laughs> My little immigrant. I, yes. I have a story about Christopher Plummer recording mm-hmm. his line. Did you read about no. that? Oh, no, I found I it on dragonslairthemovie.com, which is like the official Don Bluth site. Uh, 
But apparently Disney had opened their voice recording stages to outside filmmakers. So they hmm. recorded like dialogue and music, I think, at Disney. And they said the gate guards remembered us with a smile. So everyone at Disney was super nice to see them back there. Um, and apparently Aww. they were recording with Christopher Plummer and the recording wasn't really going well. So they took a lunch break and they were just kind of like, you know, bonding with him. And they explained that they chose. Oh, he said he really liked Secret of Nim. And then they said that they chose him for the French pigeon because he was born in Quebec and spoke fluent French. Although I looked him up later. I think he was born in Toronto, but whatever. Canada. French, French. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they suggested that he use his French accent. So I guess he wasn't using his French accent before. Like, no, be more French. Yeah. So they suggested he use his French accent and it totally worked as we oh, know. Yeah. And then later yeah, uh, they came back to Disney to record Never Say Never and they got it in two or three takes. Oh, dope. So, so I want to point, I want to point something out about Never Say Never. So, all right. So as a, while we were looking at the Blu-ray, I yes. noticed that there was a French audio track for an American <laughs> Tale on it. This is great, you guys. You're and I was love like, this. I wonder if he sounds more French in French or less French. So, so in here, insert the English version <laughs> of Christopher Plummer doing the French. Go. Never say never, whatever you do. Never say never, my friend. If you believe that your dreams will come true, they'll come true in the end. <laughs> okay, and now here is the French version of the French Pigeon. Jamais dire jamais, jamais dans la vie. Jamais dire jamais du tout. Listen to me. Si tu crois très fort que tout te sourit. He's less French in <laughs> French than in the English one. But is that because in Which the, is the English... most? But that's the most American thing you can do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is a movie about America, Dax. <laughs> well, also there are all kinds of ethnic stereotypes in this so... movie. So. Which... It's many funny ethnic yes. stereotypes. It is funny that Siskel actually mentioned that All in his positive, review. He's like, well, but he was <laughs> no, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but even Siskel in, in his review, he's like, isn't this a little bit like kind of racist? And it's like, wow, in the 80s, you were already in like, no, I mean, it's like, I want to be like, well, no, it's not racist, <laughs> but <laughs> right. uh, it's problematic, which is yeah. a word that 19, 1986 uh, Siskel or Ebert probably had never heard. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> good for, but I, was, I thought that too. I was like, hey, good yeah. on you, Siskel, for pro pointing out that these are all pretty bad stereotypes. I mean, the rest of your review was wrong, completely yes. wrong, but this one part was right. The, what, one other thought about Henry, though. Henri. Henri. I, I don't care. Henri. <laughs> one other thought about Henri is, like, in the French version, he's saying English. So I was trying to figure out if they, like, maybe were trying to make him more English. No, you know what I think American. that was? That is, and this is a very niche thing to talk about on this podcast. Oh, please. No, 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 no. This is a Dax move because I feel like if you were directing the French version, you'd be like, hey, you know what? This is French Dax. I am French Dax. I am directing this movie. Just so you all know, my great-grandfather <laughs> to the 40th power. So like to back, the 40th power? Back, back, back 40 That's generations. Back 40 generations was King Charlemagne. Wait, so, really? Yes. Holy shit. I, Did I, you know that my cousin <laughs> is Lord Horatio Nelson, who has a statue in Trafalgar Square in London? Whoa. He battled he what? battled Napoleon. And yeah, so I'm like Nelson oh Nelson. My yeah. God. We're related to very famous people. Anyway, I'm not. Good for there's us. some European heritage <laughs> anyway. back there. So yes. the French me is not too far off. 
Yes. Um, we should not celebrate these probably terrible, <laughs> these, these terrible human beings. Anyway, Turns actually. Turns out I'm related to Ada. Oh, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So anyway, this is my French Dax situation. It's like, because, okay, here's. Dax is also a town in France, renowned for its hot springs. What? <laughs> just wanted to Just let like you know. real Dax. Just wanted to let you know. Because, okay, for those of you who don't know Dax that well, he's he loves, like, changing one thing. We, like, write together. He's always like, but what if we did it differently just one time? What if we, like, did it, we pitched this up, and we just tucked it in the very back, and no one noticed it? So I just imagine, like, French Dax directing this film, the French version of this film, being like, oh, you know, it would be really great. He has a cigarette, even though he doesn't smoke. I, just, just for a minute. And the ballet. He's like, you know, it would be great is if we had one line <laughs> in English. Please <laughs> 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 uh, like, rate, comment, subscribe. Oh, to, uh, that was a great, uh, yeah, I could picture that. No, but, you know, but that's it. what it was. I think they were doing it. My point is, is that it was a creative decision because they probably thought it was amusing and they were like, wouldn't it be kind of funny to have a line and be, there was only like one or two lines in English in the song and I thought that they did that as like a turn of phrase and a little like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's say funny. Say no more. Make quick nudge, nudge. Say no more. Yeah. Another Pythonism. Yes, yes, yes. Coming oh, on in. Oh, anyway. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so that was my weird. Sorry, that would be alternate sorry. universe. I brought Dax. it to like a screeching halt <laughs> there with with my attempt at humor. We appreciate your references, even if we don't always so, understand. To pythons, which won't come in handy later. For anyone. No. In, in. Anyway, moving on. So they meet Henri. Henri! And then the Statue of Liberty. I thought it was super cute, by the way, that Henri is like claiming that he's building the statue. I loved that. It's so, so cute. Yeah. Much. And he, so he, adorable. Like, he was just like, oh, I'm, because, you know, as, as, as everyone knows, the Statue of Liberty is was a, is a gift from France, essentially, from the French government. And anyway, right? That's what I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like yeah. the thing that came <laughs> it's the French with government, Like, French government. I'm, like, not wrong in saying Don't it's, like. Don't look at me for history like, stuff. Like, <laughs> France was, like, no, was America. Yeah, it sounds Your statue, right. she is so beautiful. Our most emblematic, uh, Speaking of thing of of Americanism was given French. to us by the French. So uh, and us welcoming refugees. It's almost like the pit, like almost like he came to oversee the building. Yeah, yeah, he came with them. That, that's my head canon is he came with the statue and he's been like overseeing it. This I whole think time. he's probably just been pooping on it. Honestly, right. <laughs> I mean, While building it, I mean, he's got to build it to poop on it. Yeah, so. yeah, that's so, true. Uh, if yeah, you, so if you build on it, they will and he, poop. And he's so kindly. He's like, hey. Fly on one of my large-breasted friends. <laughs> me, the really large-breasted. Uh, uh, and they will take you to ladies. your family. And I like how the I like how the 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 problem like the very like stereotyped version of French. I just love how they say family with it's like family. Like every time they'll take you to your family. And he that they do they do a thing that like kept me in suspense the whole time at the end of the song where they had switched hats and it was like oh I know. don't don't fly off don't fly off without switching back your hats yeah. and they like they wait till the very last part where then they like start spinning the hats on their fingers and then throw each hat back onto each other's head brilliant and it was like but they keep they kept me in suspense for like a full minute where yeah, it's yeah. like. No, don't leave. He needs his, he his, needs his father's dad's hat. Yeah, You're he needs always his, worried he's going to lose his hat. It's his like hat always, has mm-hmm. magical properties yeah. in this film. And it's uh, I swear there's times where it looks like he's losing it or he left yeah. it behind. And then suddenly he's holding it again. It's like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. How, how did that happen? 
it's probably so, a scene that was cut out. So yeah, and then he basically just he gets lost in in yeah. New York. Yeah, he gets lost in New York, and, and he's exploited. always narrowly missing his family. Yes. Like he's, oh, yeah. it's a comedy of of errors. Like they're like literally next door to each other all the time, and just and like to the point where you're like. Do you not hear the person yeah. talking? And so, and one and one scene. So, because he does make friends with this like this street mouse who starts calling him Philly because Fifle's too hot to say. And uh, hey, Philly, hey Philly, who is so obnoxious and to me a symbol of like male entitlement because he clearly is a schlub. Oh, and like, what scene would you be thinking and, of here? And finds oh. this like babe of a mouse yeah. who's like clearly like an activist and like is standing up for mouse rights against the cats. And he like falls onto her and she's just like stricken with love yeah. and he's like kind of like grungy <laughs> and like does it and always is taking like credit for shit throughout the whole film he's like ah, I taught him that I'm like no you didn't you didn't teach him anything you were very nice to him and like gave him a friend but other than that you served no purpose in this entire film and, and her accent did we she's Irish I thought it was right? Irish she's Irish but it's so crazy because I didn't hear that right away. You guys right. heard it faster than I did. I was like, I was like, is Sarah this supposed to be first. like a New England kind of thing going on? Because you no, know how like, New English, yeah. ac- New England accents can kind of be like vaguely British or right. Irish, some depending on where they're from and what their family history is. Uh, I couldn't quite pin it down. We didn't know for sure until we got to the drunk, uh, the drunk Irish, Irish poli- yes. honest John, politician, honest John, <laughs> honest John. Yes, it was like who, like upon seeing a dead mouse citizen, uh, like writes his name down in a book so that he can ghost vote. It's labeled ghost votes labeled or something, which is votes. so yeah. hilarious. You don't vote, don't worry, I'll make sure you vote. From it's now like on. very Donald Trumpian, to be honest. Where <laughs> but it's he was like, a lot more endearing. Yes, I he's thought. actually just because of the Irish. I think he's just meant no. I think no. Meaning oh, he like writes. Funny. He has he has such a clear crime that he's like uh, writing yeah. out like ghost <laughs> votes. <laughs> you know, and it's like <laughs> oh, yeah, eh, they're not gonna catch don't me. Don't worry, you'll be voting. Uh, there's also a great detail which I don't know if you noticed, which is like the some some is some woman is like pouring alcohol for him, like whiskey. Oh yeah. And as the whiskey spills onto the floor, it burns holes <laughs> yeah. into the yeah. wood. Yeah. It acidically. Like destroys the flooring, Delicious. and he's just drinking it. Yeah, and it's like I, I just love that joke. That Those little details like, are what I think make this film great. There yeah. was another where what's the crooked the villain? A warranty rat. Warranty warranty rat. There's a fine story about him, but his smoke. Whenever warranty rat was smoking, there was like a couple times yeah, where his smoke just out. turned into money signs. Yeah. And it was it was like, okay, that's pretty, that's kind of neat that you put that in there. Um, from an animation perspective, it's so cool, the things they were doing with smoke. And, and anytime they do anything with smoke or water, water stuff is so impressive. I almost mm-hmm. get distracted watching like rain coming down and, and it, the rain hits the puddle and there's this little splash. And it's like, somebody drew that. <laughs> Apparently, um, the actor, for, oh, shoot, who was the actor? The actor for Warranty Rat, the way he got it was he did like, an audition of of reading Shakespeare lines as Ooh. as in this New Yorker cab driver voice, oh, like for some reason that was the way that that he had pitched the character, and they kind of fell in love with that. They're like, mm. yeah, we like the idea of this this guy who's like always trying to be poetic, but he's always misquoting these things. He's never saying it quite correctly. He's like kind of artist. He kind of has an appreciation for the arts, but he's sort of a a blockhead about it. Yeah, so. I really liked his his performance. Uh, John Finnegan played uh, Warranty Rat. Oh, nice. Whom we find out later is not so rat-like. Yeah, well, just, I know so we're also, jumping. 
can jump around. How is he a cat? How is he a cat? He's a very small cat. You mistake him for a rat. The largest of rats are not. That's like maybe the size of a kitten. There's some scale fudging in this movie. If he's a kitten, that's adorable. Yes. Oh, that'd be funny as a New Yorker, you know, New Yorker kitten on the streets obsessed with making money. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely some. That bugged me a little bit. But and also, well, because there's the the scene where Fievel and Tiger are dancing oh, later, so cute. and but it's kind of framed as a sort of fantasy sequence because they're looking in a reflection, and it's like okay, they're the same size for this sequence. I didn't take that literally, mm-hmm. but Warranty Rat is just sort of smaller than a cat and bigger than a mouse. Uh, yeah, or it's, something. it's unclear how large he actually. Is. And I feel like he is bigger once it's revealed that he's a cat. Yeah. I feel like they pushed that a little bit. So mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Yeah, doesn't it doesn't matter. Speaking, <laughs> We're being nitpicky. Well, since you mentioned Dom DeLuise, I feel Dom we DeLuise. have to bring him up. He didn't. Uh, Tiger didn't show up till like super well, late. The way well, in. into well, this movie. And I will say, like, I grew up. I actually, this was the first time I'd ever seen an American Tale. Mm. Period. I grew up watching. Really? Yeah, Five Goes West was like my thing. Uh, and so Tiger is very prominent in that story. Yes. Yeah. And main, main character. So Tiger coming in kind of late and this was very surprising to me, but I find I, it's tough because when there is like a quote unquote hapless character, who's kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. They can border be borderline annoying. And I never, the reason why I've always loved Tiger is he's never, he never walks that line. He's uh-huh. always just so endearing and so charming and so sweet, even though he's like, he could have easily been like a Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> always <laughs> fucking up and just like kind of cowardly and not really knowing what he's doing. But he's so kind and, and such a good cat. That so sweet. He's a vegetarian. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's so precious. That but it's, he does eat fish. I just want to bring sometimes. this up. Cats can't be vegetarian. Yes. They will die. So yes. yeah, he does eat fish probably pretty frequently. Yeah. Just, we're talking about realistic things. He's so. a pescatarian. He's but also I that, wearing you know, a shirt, but whatever. <laughs> for, a, for, a, for a movie that was made in 1986, I thought yeah. having a cat that's a pescatarian yeah. is really so cute. just adorable. He's hey, so little sweet. fish every now and then. I like butterflies. <laughs> With oh. golden wings. I, I love golden it's wings. So, and like oh. after. <laughs> like, okay, Dom DeLuise does a thing where he just, he laughs. Yeah. And there's no joke other than him just laughing. Yeah. But that becomes the joke. The part, and I, yeah. oh, the part I love is when he asks, uh, he asks Fievel what his favorite book is. And he says, the, the brothers care a mouse off. And he starts <laughs> laughing. And then he goes into a purr. And it's like, I could just imagine Dom Denley's in the recording studio just coming up with that. Like nobody told him to do that. He just like did that. And it was so great. And yeah. I just loved Tiger. Tiger was so more in this movie than in Five Goes West. Sorry, before which, you go on, mm-hmm. there there was a, in one of the featurettes oh, yeah. for Goes West, he comments on that where he's like, he said like, sometimes you just do an ad lib and then it's in the movie. <laughs> and it's like, so even he wasn't like, he would be surprised they'd throw certain things in that, that weren't on the script. You well, know? one of the things I really liked about specifically his character in An American Tale versus Five Goes West is that an American Tale is a little bit more realistic in terms of his character being a cat. Yes. And I love, especially in this scene, he's like picking at his claws and the sheaths are going everywhere. And that's totally oh, what yeah. cats do. Yeah. yeah. And there's this one part where just the tip of his tail is kind of flipping and cats totally do that. And <laughs> yeah. it's so cute. Very, very cat-like. Yeah. Movie. Yes. I, lo- oh, I well, love and, Tiger. And just plot wise, just in case you're following, mm-hmm. if you're still with us. Uh, <laughs> so this is the part of the movie. Lots of shit happens. But Fievel ends up in the possession of Warranty Rat because he finds out that he's actually a cat and he's yeah. been swindling the, the mice. And uh, but Tiger is kind of one of his lackeys, sort of. But like not really. He's just kind of like 
around and then he's he's sent to watch over Fievel, who is now in like a bird cage being like kept to the side because now he knows the truth but then they start to talk and they realize oh we have a lot in common and that's what their song is about oh. is how it's like a mouse and a, and a cat and how much cute they have in common how they're gonna be a yeah. such a cute song i ugh. it's true oh, which i love <laughs> fucking slant. what that's not a slant rhyme what would that be what do you call that? Yeah, when you it's change a, a word. It's kind of a slant rhyme. A slant rhyme. rhyme where you like make a word out of a another two, word to make it oh, fit. Oh, but you're adding another syllable. Yeah. It's true, oh. But, I mean, it's, it is two words. It's true, comma, oh. We're a duo, a duo, a pair of lonely ones who were meant to be a duo, a duo. It's true, if we're ever in a stew, we know we can make it through. Cause you got me and I got you. Yes, sir. <laughs> no, it's it's an incredibly endearing part of the movie, and uh, I, again, frequently Dom de Louise is always kind of my favorite. Yeah. Thing, like I feel like we all laughed kind of tenfold over yeah. what. Not to say American Tales a comedy. No. But But as soon as he shows up, it's like he provides Yay. like levity and just like a lightheartedness so to the film that it needs. After mm-hmm. this really kind of depressing montage mm-hmm. of Fievel wandering the streets of New York alone, you know, and, and then we finally he finds a friend. It's like, okay, thank you. We have something we have something for Fievel. And then do we want to like kind of get to the ending part of the movie? Yeah. So basically Fievel's pretty instrumental in they're trying to find a way to like get rid of the cats because the cats are terrorizing the mice in of New York City. And Madeline Kahn's character, who's like, yeah, the German aristic, the rich aristic, aristocrat of the, yeah, <laughs> of the, of the mouse world. Because uh, I didn't know that while we were watching. Yeah. And she, he like, Bible has an idea. They like have a rally to figure it out. And a Fievel, wowie. Like, <laughs> a wowie. <laughs> yes. Mal-ish. He like whispers something in her ear. And so you don't know what the plan is. And then, but the night before, like what happened? Is that when, like, is that when he gets captured by... I'm getting all mixed up. Yeah, I think up. he gets captured after telling them oh, the plan. The plan. So, okay. So, all the, the tiger stuff happens around this time. But then the the whole idea is that they are going to, like, chase the cats onto a boat that goes to China. Like, with... <laughs> and with, as soon as oh, you oh, see God. the Hong Kong boat, you just hear the pentatonic invade the uh, score. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that yeah. problematic? I feel like that's problematic. Uh, is uh, it a little... I, I can't say. I mean, it's... <laughs> I can't. Okay. I, I literally can't say. Well, but I, yeah. to be fair, to be honest, I think there's what honestly. <laughs> yeah. I will say there's almost little to no way to make a cultural reference musically without referencing the culture scales. Right. What would you do true. for an American? Like, what would the American version of that? But be the I. But film? I will. But here's where I'll say the the pentatonic scale is just used in a lot of folk music across the board. Doesn't matter if it's Eastern or Western. It's just the difference is that the tunings are different. So Eastern tunings are different from Western tunings. Um, but Western. I mean, a lot of five goes west is pentatonic it's the same kind of hmm. stuff a lot of folk huh. music employs uh pentatonic scales because they're played on lute style instruments i'm getting really nerdy no, uh lute, no, no, style, no, no, lute style instruments which are built upon hmm. you know they're separated each uh string is usually separated by a, f- a fourth degree or a fifth degree and that's what builds the ten- the pentatonic scale so that's why it's used a lot in folk music because that was the instrument used by the interesting that's super interesting yeah Yeah. and again again, like the score for this i don't think we can praise quite enough um Mm -hmm. i'm standing up it's so beautiful 
da 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 how it is so beautiful yeah. that that line is just oh, yeah. it makes you want to cry mm-hmm. the um the whole i don't know is that from uh yeah one of the track titles on here uh give me your tired your poor was i think when we were listening to the vinyl it, it just was like i yeah. almost was crying because it yeah. was so touching and, and moving I have a theory about this. Was the um, you saying the oboe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the oboe, I think, is like I, I should listen to it again to kind of verify this. But it felt to me like in the score, the oboe is meant to be fivel, and then um, the violin is kind of the the call of his family. Yeah. That was and because his father also Played plays violin. violin and becomes a violin maker and goes west. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he Which, Or maybe he always... No, mm, I think he? I read that that like mm. they kind of changed it, that he was a tailor or something in this movie. Uh, but that could then, have been part of the American dream. The idea is that he wants to go to America and make violins, you know? So a luthier, um, he becomes. But the, yeah, that's how I interpreted it, was that whenever I heard the violin, it sounded like kind of the, the call of his, his family. So I like that. And what's really cool, which I loved, is that being a fan of Five Goes West... There is a song that Tanya sings in Five Goes West that's alluded to in the original score for An American Tale, really? but yeah. only in the score. These are very tied. Yeah, these. Da, 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 oh, yeah. That is a leitmotif that is, that exists in the score for An American Tale, but is never realized as an actual song oh. with a melody and lyrics until Tanya sings it in. Five goes this west. This is why it's helpful to get the same composer yeah. for your sequel. I loved because I was listening to some of the Five Goes West soundtrack before you guys got here, and I love that there's one of the tracks where it starts out as somewhere out there, and then it goes into this really western yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that. That's so great. <laughs> no, we'll get. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to Five Goes West. We're all itching to talk about Five Goes West. I know. We'll get there, but for now, uh, we're finishing off. American Tale, but uh, yeah, the music in this was really special, and I I think mm-hmm. that it was a, a kind of a wonderful experience. I think we're going to try from now on to also listen to the soundtracks for yeah, all of these. It is really helpful. Cause when I'm watching a movie, I notice the soundtrack, but I'm also not like, you know, it's nice to just hear it on, on its, its own. own. Well, what did you, what was it you said the other day that composers are always kind of composing the piece as a piece, not necessarily of course. Of course. as well, because, to the film. <laughs> because ultimately they're trying to capture an emotion in the film, but it's not always set to, you're not thinking exact, unless you're really writing, oh, how do I put this? Yes, of course you are setting music to visuals, but the more important thing is that it's matching the tone of the scene itself, the mood of the scene itself. So it has to exist outside of the, the the realm of the visual or else it's it doesn't carry any emotional weight if you have to if you mm. need to watch a movie to feel something about these characters or about the songs then that you're they're not doing their job it has to exist on its own so right. a decent portion of 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 composing at least themes i mean that the initial part of it the, the thematic part of it is done without the visuals it's almost like yeah. okay i have this idea i have the feeling of this character this is how that character feels now 
moment by moment, how am I going to compose that? So it lines up with certain beats. So when they, you know, splash in a puddle, there's like a little flourish in a violin or something or a little chime sweep or when the wind blows and, you know, some leaves are flowing, flying up. Which makes me wonder kind of what the process was on this one, because apparently I, I read that Don Bluth and, and company were kind of disappointed with the score initially. Really? And it said that it took some editing. Which is nuts. Well, yeah. it said that it Which took <laughs> it took like apparently some editing for them to figure out how to like fit it appropriately to the to the film. Mm. But once it was edited down to what they wanted, or like moved, like then they really liked it. But apparently, just initially, for whatever reason, well, maybe James Horner had a harder time setting it to the visuals. If anything, that's probably been. that's what that sounds like to me. That he kind of. I don't know, but it sounds like maybe he just wrote it for the yeah, sound of I'm, it and then had a hard time syncing it up to certain uh, beats, yeah, I'm not the sure visual if, beats. If that was a back and forth and then they changed it or if they just had to work with what they had and somehow they were able to then make it function with the film. Well, I, they were dropping scenes, obviously not after they'd been animated, but I'm sure there was probably like there were storyboards and then scenes ended up being dropped that probably affected the score that they'd come up with. Like, it seems like there was a lot of changing that was going on because of you know Spielberg's involvement not to like I'm sure he made the film great in many ways but there was definitely there were some creative yeah, differences it's uh, apparently uh, it's the thing that always happens when someone tries to work with an animator is yeah. then they don't understand that if you want to add a two minute like I read yeah one of the things I read was that if you know they was trying to explain to him if you add a two minute scene it's going to take months and yeah. months to actually make that scene. Oh, I found out funny. Isn't what animate like live action people understand, yeah. you know? No, this was his first time like working with animators. But I, he said, Spielberg at one point said, I still can't believe it's so complicated. Yes. <laughs> like, yes, yes, Steven Spielberg. Oh it's well, true. And, and something that he pushes, which I don't really think was fully realized until West was the moving camera. Spielberg yeah. loves the moving camera. And oh, he yeah. Likes keeping things not too cutty. Uh, cutty is i think the word he would mm -hmm. use but like he he wants things to kind of move so you'll notice even in this movie though there's quite a few long long backgrounds yeah. that characters run across there's one where five was just running and i was like man that's that's one continuous background and for those who don't know in animation when you have to do long backgrounds you're doing something called a banana pan <laughs> or a um sorry that, i don't know why that made me the, laugh the technical term would be like five point perspective or make maybe multiple five point perspectives which is essentially um, it's kind of like if you were trying to draw a fisheye lens sort of oh, background, like a banana, where it's thicker in the middle, exactly. That's and why thinner it's, on the side. Yeah, that's now why I it's get called it. That. So you can they'll do them vertically sometimes, but usually it's if you want to draw like from someone looking down, say one end of a hallway to the other end of the hallway in a 180 degree line. Um, you need to draw that background in a way that the perspective shifts across the background. So it's not meant to be seen all at once. It's meant to be seen as the camera moves across it. And it gives you the illusion of turning in space. So a pan across one of those backgrounds is like a, like a pivot. Gotcha. If that makes sense. So, But there's a lot of backgrounds like that where, yeah, you have to draw basically something that the human eye cannot see unaided. Uh, and it, this is fun too. Uh, if you ever want to try it with your own camera, just like do a, like a panorama shot, you know, like a lot of phones have this function, but start, start at one end of something and kind of move across to the opposite end or even do a full 360 and you'll see it. You'll see what, um, you'll see what this looks like when you put it out flat 
in front of you. But they always impress me. I love seeing those things in animation. And it, it's it's something that you see less with computer animation because obviously you're building the environment in 3D and then you just have a camera that's moving. But in 2D, you had to like plan that perspective change in the very background itself. And you that always draw really, it that way, yeah. Yeah, that always impresses me. Yeah. So they're fun to do. Anyway, <laughs> very cool. <laughs> the, an the animation in this still, I think, even though it's limited, is very lovely. I, you know, it's very in line with a lot of the other Don Bluth movies and great character designs. And um, well, yeah. I, I do love. Uh, well, going back to the story, at the end they get all the cats onto the boat that goes to China, and then the building gets caught on catches on fire i guess and all the the firefighters come and they're very like i love the style of them against the style of the people uh -huh. it's very like it's like two colors it's like black and red and they're just silhouettes <laughs> and they're it was really cool um and there's a very dark moment the darkest moment of the film is after all this happens five like basically like comes across these like hoodlums who like because he's like crying and these kids like start making fun of him for yeah. crying because he can't find his family right and they're like your, <laughs> your parents don't care about you and they almost are like they, they they bait him a little bit because they're trying to be like your parents don't care about you kid you're on your own now almost like they're going to be their friend <laughs> his friend and then he's like you're right they don't care about me because if they did they would have found me and he starts getting angry at his parents <laughs> and then the kids are like like basically like throw what was that straw onto him yeah or something? just throw yeah. straw on top of him and then leave angry. him alone in a puddle and he's basically just like i live here now he says something almost exactly <laughs> i like, live here now <laughs> no i'm not kidding it's almost so verbatim. relatable <laughs> i just live here now but that moment of of like the like he's just trying to find a family and he's almost gonna you think for a second he's gonna join these like angry hoodlums but not even they want him and he's like angry at his mom and dad for not having found him even though that's insane but once again grief is not rational so <laughs> yeah it's really just, sad let's make that a, let's make that into a meme Fivel laying sad i live here now i live here well, now. Like, like, like the like this is fine dog you that's know, like when flames. my apartment gets really now, messy mouse. i'm just like i just live here now i live here mouse. so but then of course how it ends because it, it ends pretty quickly after that his family does find him they're reunited they're very happy well before that though they like there's the whole cats attacking the like stronghold of the mice, and then they yeah. let out the weird monster. Yeah, but that's thing. how they get them onto the boat to China. Wait, did we already do that? Yeah. yeah. Well, we glossed over yeah. it. Wait but... a minute. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. It's all good. <laughs> Reslate. No, 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 no. It's fine. No, 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 no. Take it out. <laughs> no, it, it looks like it. I. It looks like stays I wasn't it. listening. <laughs> it looks like I wasn't listening. No, well, I, I don't know if we'd like. We didn't really talk about the mouse no, itself, we didn't. which looks really interesting. The mouse of mince what's it called oh the the great mouse of mince which or something. i don't know if you noticed is the story that the father is telling yeah. the kids at the beginning mm -hmm. he's telling them about yeah. the mouse of mince um is it mince minsk mince minsk. Minsk. mince but yeah they get this they they create they build this mouse of minsk this giant mouse <laughs> that chases away the cats and then uh everyone lives a cat-free life until the <laughs> sequel because they, they get, get six cats out of out of new york <laughs> right they got they got some of them to go they away got six to out of China. the 12 billion cats <laughs> yeah. in manhattan i'm gonna have to learn to count money in chinese what does he say <laughs> oh yeah something along those why lines was the cockroach uh why was it like oh, yeah, did it have like electric like, antenna? I, did we have I guess we didn't talk I think about that's it. just kind of like a little 
cheeky nod to like that it's antennae and that it would be like the communicate is a uh, form of communication it's like his calculator yeah, so, or something so yeah. warranty rat who is a cat has a cock- cockroach i almost said the wrong word there he has a, <laughs> he has a, associate like cpa he is a cockroach <laughs> cpa yeah. but he looks a little bit more like a cricket or something yeah but his antenna are always doing this electrical thing so yeah. I, I, like you're saying yeah maybe it was just a nod to them being antenna um so anyway yeah he's reunited with his family which has again I think like the two most beautiful backgrounds yes. in the shot mm-hmm. are at the beginning when he's in the boat floating, which we talked about. And it's just this gorgeous watercolor yeah. as he's floating across the ocean. And then, yeah, in this scene where they're reunited, it's like, finally, bright colors. Well, it's like golden <laughs> water. It's so beautiful. And after this whole movie of darkness and him being alone, it's so satisfying to see him get back to his family. And then they just like roll in the puddle. And then you asked, where's the baby who's watching? Yeah, I was like, where the fuck is their baby? Where's the baby? I imagine, I didn't look up what they had cut out, but I imagine there's probably a scene where they leave the baby with a nanny or or something. I don't know. (laughs) They can afford that. (laughs) I have some continuity with this baby. (laughs) Make sure we we take care of this plot. Oh, nobody gives a shit. Probably just me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, I noticed. I was like, didn't continuity. they have a fifth, a third kid? Uh, there's some, there's some vague, vague continuity yeah. errors. But well, again, I don't know. Again, I don't know what was cut out. But apparently, the just going back to the ship in the water scene. Apparently, Don Bluth wanted more of like a wave monster thing going Which on. Which there but kind of was. There was, but I think he wanted more, and Spielberg thought it was too intense for kids, so they cut it down. You hear that, Ebert? I'm sorry. Uh, rest in peace. <laughs> no, but he it might. was going to be more intense. If he's haunting your apartment, then he can hear you. So there you go. Oh my God. Hello? Um, he's a ghost vote now. Uh, uh, <laughs> bringing it all back. I'm a ghost vote he now. gives that he he gives that uh, two ghostly thumbs down. Oh yeah, he does. But uh, yeah, no, just just this was apparently the highest grossing non Disney animated feature at that point. Wow. Yes, it was. Yeah, it made uh, forty seven million domestically, I think, and it beat the Great Mouse Detective, which had been released four months earlier and did not make as much. There is a connect with Great Mouse Detective as well, which we'll really? find out. Not just cool. mice. Correct. <laughs> well, we'll find out. We'll find out very soon. Um, so, yeah. Is there any wrapped any wrap up thoughts that that either of you have regarding an American Tale? Nothing that I can't connect to Fievel Goes West. Yes. <laughs> well, I have yeah, a, we might bounce back and forth a little. I have later. a transition that will take us into Fievel Goes West. Well, before we do, yeah. Okay, so. Somewhere. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Talk about that song, which is kind of like the single of this movie. So, which is sung by is it Philip Glass? I believe so. Yeah, Yeah. it's sung by the young boy who played Mm -hmm. Fievel, and that's why it it sounds like it too. So sweet that beneath we Dax and I love like the 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 breaking of the voice beneath the pale moonlight. It's so endearing. I think.
find one another in that big somewhere out there. Uh, if that and doesn't, if that doesn't tug your heartstrings, yeah. you're you're fucking dead inside. And there's almost a nod to this, I think, in the beginning of the sequel to which. Uh, but yeah, do we want to say anything else regarding that song, like with just Lin- that Linda's it, version as well? It's just I once again, simple melody strikes you the most. That the the first four notes, do 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 do. It's little do 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 the same two notes do 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 do. It's 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 it's. I think it's just one do one da one da da da. So it's a minor third up do 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 do. It's 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 building a chord and that's it and that becomes the most iconic thing. And I bet if you hummed that melody to somebody, just those four notes, technically three, you they probably would know what you were talking about. Yeah. That was definitely one of the things I, I mean, I'd seen an American tale relatively recently. I I rewatched it a few years ago, I think, uh, because actually on the Percast 50th episode, which you were on Dax, mm-hmm. uh, I brought up <laughs> this, I had watched this film right before cause I wanted to talk about tiger, uh, cause it was our cats and pop, uh, pop culture episode. So I had watched this recently, but that's definitely a song that I think I would always remember from this film. That and No Cats in America. Because mm. it's yes. just classic. It's great. Yeah. yeah. And it says that... It's weird because on Wikipedia it says that the somewhere out that Somewhere Out There was composed by Horner and Barry Mann. They're going to say Barry Mann alone. <laughs> I don't believe it was Barry Mann. <laughs> but it, was, it says Barry Mann. And I don't know to what extent that means that hmm. he... Like, I guess he was... Also a co-composer on that song. Oh, interesting. And uh, the lyrics were by Cynthia Whale. Uh, W-E-I-L. How would you say that? Weil, Weil? maybe? Cynthia yeah. Weil. But yes, the pop single version of Somewhere Out There was done by Linda Ronstadt as a duet with James Ingram, who unfortunately passed away uh, in January of this year. Um, and this, yeah, it won a Grammy Award. So I, th- I think we were like not sure what award it what was before. What won for best? Or- I'm curious. Can you look up the Oscars that year to see who won for best original song? Oh, it was Top Gun. Are you serious? Yes. Yes. I, I saw it on. So that was Take My Breath Out. Take My Breath Out. Wait, that won the Oscar? Yeah, it was something from Top Gun. Okay. It, it must have been Berlin. Yeah, but this won the Grammy. Was. It won for two best, Grammys. For best song. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's interesting. Okay, cool. So... Yeah, I think that's as good. A, now's as good a time as any to segue. Oh, can I? Can I do something <laughs> about the segue? Because I have. She had a yes, segue. Yes, I have she a, has segue. a segue. Well, okay. because I always wondered why Don Bluth and Gary Goldman and John Pomeroy and all of them stopped working with Steven Spielberg because again they did work with him on Land Before Time and then didn't after that. Mm. So I started doing some Googling, so I was like, ooh, there's got to be some dirt there. There isn't, like, a ton of dirt. Um, But, you know, there were creative differences, and I think there was too much oversight on this film. I think Don Bluth felt like there were too many people telling him what to do, and there was probably more of that because George Lucas was involved with Land Before Time, right? I think think so. so, Anyway, well, we'll talk about that more when we get to Land Before Time. That's why I didn't do a ton of research on that. Um, But what happened, so I was like Googling like, oh, maybe there's some dirt somewhere. And I stumbled upon a message board called Mm filmboards.com. 
and somebody was asking like, hey, why didn't he work with Steven Spielberg again? And somebody responded to that thread and said they emailed Gary, who I'm thinking is Gary Goldman, and he responded. Wow. And he said that there was no falling out between them. They just wanted it. Uh, they wanted an American tale to, or they wanted Fievel Goes West because I think they were considering working with them for Fievel Goes West and they had wanted it to be done at the same price or the same cost as an American tale, which would have meant everyone taking a 40% pay cut or yeah. laying off 40% of their staff. I, I read that it was three. They wanted three million less yeah. than the land before time. Like Kathleen Kennedy came to them and like and said, like, can you do the sequel? Yeah for this movie can you do the sequel for three million less than land before time that they wanted a 9.6 million dollar budget and when they said like well well, i don't know if we can yeah and then the response was apparently she said like are you sure you want to say no and he said i think we have to yeah and apparently so they said no and then Spielberg and Amblimation ended up doing it in England for two and a half times the for cost of an American tale. For 25 million. Yeah. Which brings us to Five Goes West. Yeah. Oh, Tiger, I almost forgot. How do you get to Green River? Just grab a passing sage coach. Okay, <laughs> see you later, Tiger. Adios. Sage coach, get it? Sage. <laughs> Oh, never mind. Rolling, 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 We just were because we were just talking about budgets. Both these films look their budget. I think. I think that like you can visibly see, and this this isn't the fault of an American tale. You can just see that Five O Goes West had more money. Yes. At its disposal, and the this was the first thing when I was looking back at clips from it and was seeing. Um, just oh, there's a cat. Remember, oh, there's a cat. <laughs> I thought there were no which, cats. Who, in which cat is this, Sarah? This is Tango. This is Tango. Who reminds oh my us of, if you haven't listened to our banjo episode, just plugging that one. Because he's very, <laughs> yeah, anyway, not to plug our old episodes, so, <laughs> but we only have two, so might as well. one episode ago. <laughs> so, the, uh, but yeah, like, the thing I noticed looking back at this film was just how fluid it is. And it's really smooth. And the reason for this is really just because it had more money. And, um... I'm going to harken back here. So this is the formation of Amblimation was for this oh. film. Because, I, you know, ironically, they went to Don Bluth to try and, like, do it for cheaper. And then they were like, oh, well, we can't do it. And so, but in forming their own studio, this ended up costing them way more to do. But this was <laughs> a studio that, that they made in the UK for the purpose of making this movie. And a lot of the hands that were involved in this movie... Uh, were people that I, I believe came off of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Ooh. So if you look at Who Framed Roger Rabbit and then look at this, you'll notice a lot of similarities. Oh, um, did you see? Uh, maybe this is something you were going to bring up. But yeah. one of the directors, Simon, uh, Simon Wells. Both directors. Oh, did the other one? Did he also yeah, both work directors, on it? Both directors, Simon Wells and Phil Niblink, 
uh, came from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, and it said that nice. it said Simon Wells was a supervising anim- yeah. animator. Simon Wells, who is still apparently a filmmaker, he's the great grandson of H.G. Wells. Oh no! Wow. Way. And everyone um, has famous relatives for but me. Famous relatives. <laughs> hey, you have a high caste, don't you? Oh God! Don't bring up <laughs> don't the bring cast. Up cast. <laughs> I'm mixed blood anyway now. <laughs> um, but the. It's true though. I am from the highest no, cast. No, no, the cat's trying to chew oh, the XLR buddy cables. Yeah. No, here, no, buddy. no, buddy. Tango's the cat. Good. <laughs> Not behave. <laughs> seldom did what he. So anyway, um, I've actually met Phil Niblink. He worked. Oh, I thought you were gonna say you've met H.G. Wells. I, yes. Yes. He's a ghost voter. Um, <laughs> I met Phil Niblink at uh, Duck Studios when I was there oh, as yeah. a as a PA. And he was an animator there for a number of projects. And I even drove to his house one time oh. to like deliver animation for some scene. Because um, they were still doing things on paper. So they <gasps> needed someone to like run across LA delivering actual <gasps> animation paper and scenes and, That's so and cool. what have you to people. So, um, but, and I've talked to him a couple of times. He seemed like a, a nice guy. And um, ironically, I found this out. Same with John Pomeroy in the first episode that we did. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this that was the first one, not second one, or was the second one? It was, I don't know, it was well, one of them in I, one I of the remember. earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. I we've only had two, we can't we've remember, only had two and we can't remember which one we've done because we because we totally recorded them shortly ago, but um, apparently, and for the same movie, even. He was also a storyboard artist on Animal Crackers oh. when I was looking up his IMDb. Oh and that's God. the film that I, I had done a scene for. That's for, so for Tony, weird. For Tony no Bancroft. Way. So I just thought it was funny that the co-director <laughs> for Five Goes West, I have actually worked on a, on a film wow, that he's awesome. worked on. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, oh, it's also worth noting that Phil Niblink was also a character animator on The Great Mouse Detective. Ooh, he likes mice. And he did. And anyway, um, the but, chewing cords. But Go Phil Niblink uh, also was Phil Niblink. <laughs> Phil Niblink and Simon Wells were also co-directors on We're Back, which was mm. the second Amblimation film. And which you also have. Uh, is have, that the laser disc? I have the laser disc <laughs> and the VHS for We're Back. Oh my god! <laughs> oh. And and then there was a third film. That Amblimation made. Do you know what it is, Sarah? Oh no! I I read that they were going to make Cats and they didn't. Well, that was that would have been their that would have been their fourth movie. I forget what was the other one. So the the third movie was Balto. Oh, was it Balto? Yes, and which Simon Wells directed. Which Simon Wells directed, and the, apparently Balto tanked the company. <laughs> so he tanked. He tanked oh, the it tanked the studio. I, I read that also Phil Niblink uh, did the animated the dog chase sequence in Banjo. Yes, he did. Which is a really great sequence. Yeah, it said uncredited, so I'm not sure why. Hmm. Um, and Simon Wells, I was just looking at their weird credits. Uh, he's credited with for Back to the Future 2. He was consultant, colon, future. So he consulted them on the future, the futuristic aspects what? of Back to the Future 2. What? I don't know the story behind oh. that. I just saw that credit That's and nuts. thought it was weird. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So it, it, unfortunately with these movies, it was kind of a steady decline because mm. Five Goes West had a budget of, yeah, as we said, $25 million, And at the box office, it only made $40.8 The reason for which 
was because it came out the same day mm -hmm. as Beauty and the Beast <laughs> on November 22nd, Yikes. 1991. <laughs> Jesus Christ. They chose the wrong film to compete with <laughs> and to the day to compete with. Um, and also there's another connect here, which is that apparently John Cleese, who plays the voice of Catarwall in, in Five Goes West, turned down the role of Clogsworth. <gasps> to play Cogsworth. Catterwall. Cogsworth. Uh -huh. Did I say Cogsworth? Yeah. I meant Cogsworth. <laughs> I got you. He played, but he turned down the role of Cogsworth to play Catterwall. And while that may have not been the most correct business move on his part, boy, oh boy, am I glad he did play this character. Yeah, so good. Because it's by far one of the best things about this entire movie. I think it's Catterwall. a more, if I were looking to take a role, I would rather take the Catterwall role well, that's than probably Cogsworth. Why he did, yeah. Because it sounded so. interesting. And mm -hmm. he was completely correct for it. Like he couldn't have been more well cast. Um, so anyway, uh, the box office for Fievel ended up being 40.8 million, but then the box office for We're Back ended up being 9.3 million. Ooh, that's and I rough. actually can't find what the budget was for it, but that's not a good turnaround. And then for Balto, it was a Balto. It says it was a budget of 31 million, but box office 11.3 million. Mm. So Balto lost uh, 20 million dollars for the studio, and that's. But they were going to make a, an animated version of Cats, as you said, yeah. for the fourth film. And that, you know, they had to close down Amblimation. So those are the only three movies that hmm. came out of this studio. But boy, oh boy, I think the first one was kind of ridiculous in quality. And again, if you look at all the talent that came out of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which had the animation direction of Richard Williams, who is one of the greatest animators who's ever lived... And that's not hyperbole. It's just like, look at his work. He's, mm. he's, he's one of the greats. And um, he, if you've ever heard of The Thief and the Cobbler, is, and you know the history of that film and what happened. Oh, that was his. That's his, yeah. So if you ever see the, uh, like the recobbled cut of Thief and Recob the Cobbler, <laughs> which is like a fan edit, because it was a film that unfortunately was kind of taken away from him for a number of reasons and then finished poorly. So... If you ever are interested in finding it, I suggest kind of scouring the internet. I'm not saying that you should ever download <laughs> well, something that you do not own. But it's like stealing. <laughs> if you feel like looking around for a film that is not exactly the way that it was released in theaters. You wouldn't steal a bike. You wouldn't but... steal a bike, would you? <laughs> um, but no, if you track down kind of one of the better versions of, of the movie, it's really worth looking at. But he was, he was head of animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And boy, oh boy, this is like one of the most Richard Williams looking movies that he had nothing to do with. Huh. And I think it's just because of the maybe the like the talent that had worked on with him. His influence on them. Yeah, yeah. some of his influence on some people on Roger Rabbit, which then kind of poured over onto some of these other ones. And there was three short films for Who Framed Roger Rabbit that um, are should be on like the Blu-rays or DVDs for the film that there's a lot of and they're straight animated for the for the most part and there's just a lot of tiny weird thing i'm trying to figure out how to explain it but stuff like fievel's guns the little weird red and white striped yeah. guns feel very much like roger rabbit props <gasps> or you pointed out there's a lot of uvulas in <laughs> yeah, this yeah, movie yeah and that's also a thing in roger rabbit there's oh, a lot of true. uvulas there's a lot of and also just the moving camera aspect of roger rabbit roger rabbit was kind of significant for having this breaking of 
locked off shots where it was like, no, we can move the camera. And then they kind of just applied it to this where there's all these sweeping camera moves. There's like a 360 pan around Wiley Burp at the beginning when he's, when they're standing like in the standoff. And, um, very noticeably they're like, we're a different movie from an American tale. Yes. Visually. And the, the three rules for who framed Roger Rabbit that I feel kind of crossed over were Warner brothers, character designs, like a, yeah. the Warner Brothers look, they wanted Tex Avery humor and timing, and then and then Disney articulation and movement. That's so interesting because huh. this made me think of Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah. I mean, just because yeah. it's like slapsticky and kind of like more surreal with some of the things they're doing. Not so. It like, is. No, there's a lot yeah. of like actual timing jokes. So yeah, like or like visual jokes that you would ne- like. Like when Tiger turns into a poodle for like two seconds. That's something you that's, would not. That's a little have... more like. Tex Avery-ish, I think they're leaning. Okay, with, yeah. Where it's like Tex Avery did all the like the droopy cartoons and uh, things like that. But yeah, you're right. There's like a lot of bleed with that kind of sense yeah. of of the Warner Bros. of Chuck Jones stuff. So it, to me, it feels like those those rules kind of crossed over into this movie since I think it was essentially the next film they worked on after Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But um, I just was kind of noticing that the look of it is very is more similar than I was expecting it to be. And one of the things that this movie does, I'll get off the technical side of it <laughs> very soon, but this this film has an excessive use of ones. And Aww. Who Framed Roger Rabbit because okay, so film-wise, old school cinema is 24 frames a second is your frame rate. And we've talked about this before, where animation, usually you'll, you, in feature, you'll do things on twos, where you're doing 12 drawings per second. That's a lot of work. But that's a, that's a cost-saving technique, where you're trying to, like, get two frames out of every drawing. And then in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, they had to basically do it all in ones. To match the live to action. To match yeah. the 24 oh. frames per second of live action. That carries over into this. There's a lot of stuff on twos in this movie, but there are tons of shots. And I did go through and frame by frame a lot of scenes in huh. this where it just goes to ones. Well, and it looks so smooth. It's yeah. really smooth where the characters just move but ridiculously you know, What I found interesting about it, though, watching both of these films back to back, and I've watched Five Will Goes West probably just as many times as I've seen Beauty and the Beast. Um, but I found it was smoother but it was also like less warm. It lost like the warmth mm. and like the picturesqueness, I think in a lot of cases that, that, that an American tale has like that kind of like, I'm just, I'm watching a moving painting. Right. Was kind of, and it, but it's the same thing. It kind of reminded me of like a switch to HD or something. How like you watch HD now and obviously the quality is better and it's smoother, but it lost a little bit of the warmth yeah. of like the imperfections like it, and the soul. Of, it was trying yeah. to be yeah. more impressive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not, that's not at all saying that I dislike the animation oh, yeah. style. I just watching them back to back. I was like, Oh, this feels less like a painting and more like a live action film, mm-hmm. which makes sense given you're talking about being, you know, using the ones yeah. and the twos. You're drawing 24 images per second. It's going to feel a little more like live action but well, Spielberg still you know being from the live action world is probably wanting things done a certain way that you normally just do in live action right and it's very like it's very noticeable it's very like I love the style of Five Will Goes West but yeah I, I think it's definitely like it was a little bit distracting I was like stop showing it looks off. so good that you, <laughs> it distracts you for a moment yeah, a which is bit. maybe what helps cover up the simple story maybe. a little mm-hmm. like even just yeah if you, uh, 
the, the scene, which we'll get to, is is when Tanya's singing oh, later, yeah. and it's just that whole sequence while she's moving and dancing. And there's like water falling on the the mm. picture beneath her. Mm-hmm. That whole shot, I think, was on ones, and like mm. there's parts where Catterwall picks her up in his hands and moves her, and it, it's like it's just incredibly um, beautiful so smooth. and smooth, but it's almost distractingly yeah, smooth yeah. because you're just kind of, you're, you're sort of in awe of how, but I don't think, I, which I looked up like some reviews where people had said like, oh, the animation for Five Goes West was like above average. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's so good looking for, yeah, well, for movement. Like it's just different though too. Like, like, you know, an American tale, again, they had a smaller budget and yeah, they didn't move the cameras much either because they didn't have the resources to do those kinds of shots or because they just didn't want to like Spielberg probably mm-hmm. came in on this one and was like, I want it to zoom in from here and I want to go around him. And I want, and they're like, okay, okay. <laughs> give us some more money. We'll and we try. Can probably do it. <laughs> but I think that in a weird way, Bluth, and this might be, a, a controversial thing to say, I guess, on our podcast about Don Bluth. <laughs> but in a weird way, I think them not getting the film was maybe one of the best things that could have happened to the film. Because honestly, it kind of feels I like it when other directors get a hold sometimes of certain, like even though it can turn out badly, sometimes it gives it a shot of creativity and takes it in a different direction. Like I don't want to see Fievel walking around New York again. Mm. You know, I but... kind of liked this different take on the idea. I also think it's interesting because, like, just to give a little bit of background, as I had mentioned before, I saw Five Goes West before I saw An American Tale, obviously. Uh, and it, I've always joked that it's like my, like, you know, you meet those people that are like, Home Alone 2 is better than yeah. Home Alone 1. And you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's basically the same movie, but worse. <laughs> but like the same characters, just like stock characters are saved, just new names. There's a bird lady instead of a shovel man. <laughs> like it's all the same shit. I feel like I'm that person about, about the bird lady. Yeah, right? <laughs> I'm that way, but for Five Goes West because I but because you ask those people, well, did, what did you see first? They're like, oh, I saw Home Alone two first. You're uh, like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's why. <laughs> because watching an American Tale, obviously, a lot of the beats are very similar, and I could see someone watching Five Goes West and being like, this is basically the same <laughs> yeah. film. Yeah. This place sucks. We want to go to where it doesn't suck. Kid gets lost. Five right? gets yeah. lost. There's someone who's like a trickster. The only difference is he's not pretending like he's pretending to be a mouse but only in like a marionette form right, right. The and villains, yeah and the villain's uh-huh. a cat but he's a, but he's he is a cat uh but i a, think a cat who appreciates culture yeah but i think that's <laughs> i think the reason why i like this film better is i think that i think it hits the beats harder i think there's less um i think it, it i think the story's tighter I think even the story if it's is, not necessarily better right i think it's tighter and i think that um I, I like the tone of it more. I feel like there's a distinct mm. tonal shift halfway through an American tale when Tiger shows up that's more lighthearted yeah. that I think it needs. And that's most of this movie. Yeah. Most right. of this movie from the first scene where you it's open consistent. it, it's Tanya, she's singing somewhere oh, out yeah, there. I wanted to bring back, yeah. So, this is, so the film opens, we should do plot. The film opens with Tanya, she's, probably a few years older she has a ponytail oh. now but before that there's the isn't there's the, the dream yeah. sequence oh, well, yeah. dream, so there's yeah. a dream it does open sequence in the west with Fievel yes. and Wiley Burp who is yes. the the dog the sheriff dog Stewart. voiced by James it was his last Jimmy role. Stewart and this was in fact his last movie 
which because he died, he it was the last film he did, and then he died, I think, six, seven years later or yeah. so. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll get to Jimmy Stewart. But yeah, it opens in the West, and then it it totally reverts at the end of the dream sequence mm-hmm. to New York and the old color and palette. And that shot is one of my favorite things. Is when so he's in the West, and and it's his fantasy and. Fievel shoots a gun and the bullet spins out and it becomes a cork <laughs> and, so, and then it, it hits the end of a string and then you realize it's him with his little cork gun and as a kid mm-hmm. I always wanted a cork gun like that it's his always fantasy. Um, and then yeah of course he gets called into dinner and then meanwhile Tanya is singing somewhere out there and it's this beautiful moment and then like everyone <laughs> in, in true New York fashion tell, yells at her to shut up and throws <laughs> tomatoes at her and I think from that moment on it is a, it's clearly tonally a very different film it's yes. much more light hearted and I think it needs that because the story and i get i get the criticisms in a sense that ebert and Siskel were making even though i don't agree with them entirely um that it it, it, it the subject itself is already dark like immigrants right. trying to make it in new york is oh, already yeah. a tough story for children to swallow so you do need that levity and i think that that's what this whole film has so even though it is almost beat for beat the same film as an american tale i think that the tone of it is better i think it's just a more co- concise story mm. And I, I think the last line of this movie is one of the most beautiful lines and ever we'll, written. We'll get to that. <laughs> and that's what the, I'm going to say. That's my overall review. The, well, the au revoir. Well, the, I, before we leave, I just want to say, do you think that's kind of a commentary on the song being slightly <laughs> annoying on somewhere sure. out there? I'm because sure. I like that song, but it is slightly annoying like I, it leans I, it heavily into this is a child singing a song and, you know and i i wonder if that's them kind of just acknowledging like yeah. if it's metaphorically them kind of throwing a tomato at the like kind of sillier or thing throwing in the a first tomato movie. well yeah or throwing a tomato at the seriousness of that song and being like this is not the serious movie that the first one was right this is you're gonna laugh more or something. Yeah. yeah. It does it it subverts your expectations. <laughs> but, but I will say I think this film still has a whole lot of heart. Oh, very I think much. Despite so. the fact that it's tonally lighter, I don't think that it suffers as a result of it. I actually think it's better because of it, because it still is. I mean, there are a couple of moments like we'll get to like the fact that his parents, like he gets lost again, right? He like falls, yeah. so instead of falling off a ship, right? So they, they decide falls off a train. He falls off a train, and his parents are like, "He just can't ah, take." Yeah, that's the one. That's the thing that kind of bothered can't me. Can't take transportation, yeah. five volt. Well, you can't take like, him anywhere. They were like, "Okay, your kid's lost in the desert," and they're like, "He'll find his way back." He's a Mouskowitz, and it's like, aren't you a little bit sad? You literally <laughs> spent your whole time in the first film yeah. looking for your son, being utterly depressed, and this time the dad's like. Eh, he was fine last time. Yeah. Fine. Well, but he's right. But he's right. No, to the like, wisdom of the dad, he's right. Uh, I don't know. That, that, it's some of that stuff where I was like, I'm not getting the character motivations as much right. in this one. But it's kind of also not like, I feel almost like it's not even the point him getting lost to some degree. Because he gets, he finds them again well before the climax of the movie. But he almost dies in the desert. Sure. Which, sure, he faces a deadly scorpion and an eagle. And but. A, as a side thing, Fievel on his journey has a little bag with an F on it. And as a kid, I always like, that's like F bag. Like one of my (laughs) things I always wanted was like, you know, like the, the, the imagery you have as a kid, which I don't think kids today would kids today would understand. Like we grew up with like old timey imagery of like, when you run away, you got to stick with a bag at the end, you know? And I think that always was romanticized. And so whenever I would see Fievel with like his F, I would always imagine that I, if I ran away, I'd have like a bag with an A on it. (laughs) 
And I didn't remember that till I rewatched it this time. And I was like, oh yeah. Cause I would, my friend and I, my friend Allie and I would like quote unquote run away, but we would only do it for like a few hours and we'd bring like, just like a Barbie and just like sit at a park for a little while. And then we'd walk back before dinner and that was our running away. That was it. I want to step back a moment uh, to Tanya. I forgot to mention one thing regarding that song, which is that on the soundtrack, because I listened, I listened to the Five Goes West soundtrack on its own. And during that part, she just in the actual like CD version, she's just like somewhere. Ah, yeah. Somewhere. Ah. But you don't hear any of the tomatoes yeah. or yelling at her. So it just sounds like she's awkwardly stopping the song for no reason. It kind of made me laugh. But uh, we should bring up that Tanya's voice actor Oh, it's different. Is different in this movie. Actually, did we bring up the voice actors for the Mouskowitz family? Oh, we didn't. We didn't. We should probably bring them up. And uh, and oh, can I mention something funny about? Okay, so we know that Philip Glasser reprises his role as Fivel. Philip Glasser also he worked in he did a lot of animation voice acting as mm -hmm. a kid. He was also in A Troll in Central Park, which we'll true. talk about he another will, time. He will come up later. And he was in Secret of Nim too. As he's credited as reformed 19 year old Martin. And I have no idea what that means. And I never want to find out. What <laughs> I know what that means. I know what that means. That was when he was older. So he probably was around 19 when he was doing that. Yeah, but. I noticed. I noticed he was tied to that. <laughs> um, yeah. So Philip Glasser, um, Amy Green was the original Tanya Mouskowitz. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't find too much on her. It says that her singing voice was Betsy uh, Cathcart. Cathcart? C-A-T-H-C-A-R-T. Cathcart? Yeah. Cathcart? Yeah, Cathcart. <laughs> so someone's like, no, it's Cathcar. <laughs> like, Cathcar. It might be. <laughs> it might be Cathcar. Yeah, we don't know. I'm sorry. Um, and then, uh, I'm not going to say these names correctly, Nehemia Persoff as Papa Mouskowitz, um, who I think played Barbara Streisand's dad in some movie and what? was kind of a similar character huh. so like that was why he got this role and he was the dad in both yes American i believe okay. so and erica yon y-o-h-n as mama mouskowitz um who's the voice of the baby no, <laughs> um, but anyway the original voice was amy green of for tanya and i couldn't find too much um on amy green uh, as opposed to uh tanya but um, according to IMDb, she was on CBS School Break uh, special. She was on Newhart and was on one episode of St. Elsewhere in 1985. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know what the story with her is, if, if she just kind of stopped doing acting after yeah. a while. But the, but the voice of Tanya in Five Goes West is Kathy Cavadini. Oh. And she was the voice. She ended up being the voice of the original uh, Blossom in the first Powerpuff Girls series. Oh yeah, which you so. pointed out on yeah. Lise when we were watching it. So that for those who well, because she sounded a lot like uh, Angelica Pickles, and I was wondering if it was the same voice actor because Five Goes West was ninety one, and I believe that Rugrats started around the same time, if not the same year. Um, so I was like, well. You know, they would be they would have been voice actors around the same time, and there was just a similar cadence to that voice. But then I was like, "Oh no, it's actually Blo Blossom." That's that's great. Yeah. Did you check it to see if she had done that voice? Who she was? did not. Oh, okay. She did not. But so you just found a different cartoon. That's yeah. That's fun. I mean, it. She has apparently been uh, has a lot of voice acting credits. So, 
but yeah, I think the one that people would really know is that she had been Blossom. And there's a lot of singing on the Powerpuff Girls, too. Mm. So obviously that helped, you know, like for that for that character that she had this great singing voice. And that's actually my favorite thing about this movie, I think, is Tanya's uh, present. Like, I'm trying to think of a word for it, but like just she has a lot more presence in this movie. Yeah. And in some ways, it almost kind of feels more like her film to some degree. Well, yeah. she actually has a, an arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Fievel's more like, I'm just trying to stop this situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Tanya's the one who kind of is looking for something and then gets it and then decides she kind of doesn't want it. Which, I there's a moment... Because, I mean, maybe we should go over the, the plot real quick. Yeah, it's, we'll it's, get it's to pretty, Tanya later. It's but. pretty, like, the difference is that we can explain what happens in this film in, in very little time, probably. We could go through it very quickly. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, they, they go out west because they're promised a... <laughs> yes, they're promised a town <laughs> called Green River that is supposedly where cats and dogs and mice all get along. But, of course, this is all a ruse based on... Uh, Cat R. Wall, played um, heralded by... Heralded by John Cleese. Amazing John Cleese, who, like, is my favorite part of this movie. Oh, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, his performance stands out, I think. Like, I'm sorry to everyone else in this movie. Mm. He's doing he's doing the most. Yeah, you, like, gassed when you heard him. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. Forgot, yeah, so I forgot that both John Cleese and Jimmy Stewart were in this movie. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I couldn't... So I was so excited once I realized, like, oh, my God, that that's right. So And apparently this was John Cleese's voice acting debut. Oh, he, had, yeah, he I don't, did great. Yeah, I don't believe he had ever done voice acting before. So And the, it said that the animator for... Um, Catterwall. For Catterwall. Oh, wait, um, no, no, no. Is it... Oh, yeah, his name's Catterwall. I'm getting him confused with Warranty it, Rat. They love those been, little puns. It might have been listed in the... In in one of the bonus features, I watched the name of the animator. And if it is, I will insert it here. Hi, Future Dax here again. The animator for Kadar Wall was Christoph Sarand, who also worked on the other Amblimation films We're Back and Balto, as well as a number of DreamWorks movies and the charming Asterix films. But anyway, the animator who had worked on him apparently studied John Cleese's movements and really wanted to like get down kind of how he moves as well while he was animating uh, uh, this villain character. And I think it translates really well, both on animation and in voice. It feels very much like a, a John Cleese performance, mm. which I thought, yeah, is like well, one a, of the strongest he, things he's here. He's a very intelligent villain. He's someone who isn't just like, I'm just after this thing and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. He's like, he, the scene where Fievel listens in, and this is why he gets thrown off of the stagecoach, of course, is that, or the train is that he listens into this plan once again, very similar to American tale gets found out. But instead of eating him, he like talks through the reasons why he can't eat him because right. all the mice would miss him and <laughs> anybody, but, but he's still so tempted by his impulse to eat this mouse that he is like slabbing butter, butter on, on him, him wrapping, wrapping him, him in a little lettuce and, and, and be like, I just love mouse. Ta, ta, ta. <laughs> so what do we have here? It appears to be a young pioneer. Now the feline in me would like to devour this tender young morsel, but the shrewd businessman in me knows that if I do, the other mice will miss him and come looking for him. The gourmet in me quivers at the thought of mouse tartar. I have a 
question though. This is the problem I think I have with with this movie. And again, I loved this movie as a kid. I had seen this a lot. Big fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, and again, I think I also just liked sequels like Ghostbusters Two better than Ghostbusters One. Fight me. Hmm. Uh, yeah, no, but but. Also, Back to the Future 3, the Western. Oh, I love yeah. Back to the Future 3. Better than Back to the Future 2, I think. Anyway. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, that's I, I like Back to the I like Back to the Future 3. Yeah, Western a sequels, lot. amazing. Uh, but I guess the point, what was the point I was making? Oh, yeah, so the problem I have is the motivation. I understand why the mice are going west, because they want a better life. But why don't the cats just eat the mice in New York? I, Instead of this whole elaborate ruse yeah. to get them to go west, and then they just squish them? The go, whole plan is to just west, squish them. Well, I, think west, that, I think, but there I, has to be a premise in which they could feel safe, and they already know that they're not safe in New York. So they're promising this promised land out west, where it's like, oh well, it's not safe here. Obviously, you know, you experience that mice and cats do not get along here. So they can't sell them the ruse in the place that they're oh, experiencing yeah, I, it. I remember what. No, no, but like, doesn't don't they hope that more mice are going to come as well? Like, and that also, they're also using them for labor. They're using them for labor. Yes. I think that's just, it seems like build a town out. Right. Come on. It's the American dream. The American tale. It's just a lot of, it's going to a lot of effort to make mouse burgers way out West. Well, but he says, you know, why would you want the crouton when you could have the whole salad? Like, okay. That's his mentality. So, because he wants to use them for exactly. It's like his American dream is to like have a cat. Utopia that's built by mice, and then you eat the mice, and that okay. can only exist out west. So that's his promise for cats, and then the promise to the mice is, oh well, you'll be fine. It'll be oh, okay. Oh, because they'd get eaten, and then mice would keep coming. What is it about yes. thinking? What is it about thinking that like all your problems will be better somewhere else, west specifically? Yeah, because in the first movie they're moving west to America, and they're uh, like, yeah. we didn't move west enough. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I want to bring up, by the way, they totally sequel bait at the end oh, of American yeah. Tale, where <laughs> yeah. it's like, what's out there? That is more America. Ah, I want to see it. You will one day, more me. You oh, will. And he does. But That's and in so the trailer funny. for Five Goes West, they play that clip yeah. at the beginning of yeah. the trailer. But I wonder how, like, I couldn't find any information on whether they were thinking of doing a right. sequel. Did Were they planning that? Yeah. Or, well, because, okay, Back to the Future 1, they weren't planning a sequel. Right. And they just kind of, as a joke, threw in sequelishness mm-hmm. at the end. It's a word. And then, <laughs> and then the second one, they're like, okay, cool, we, gotta, we can start here. However... They regretted having thrown his girlfriend right, in the car because yep. they didn't know what to do with her. Mm-hmm. Screenwriting, why you could have like made her part of the story, but okay. So they're like, we got to write <laughs> no, her unconscious possible. pretty quickly. <laughs> Don't bother making her part of the part of this. But um, a woman in a movie, <laughs> preposterous. <laughs> she can't come along. She yeah. can't be. What would like, she do? Her ovaries she, will fall out. <laughs> she can't be involved in crazy hijinks. Didn't you know that women can't time travel? <laughs> They need to make sandwiches in the you kitchen. You need a Y chromosome <laughs> to make it through the time and space So anyway. Flux capacitor, <laughs> more like, I don't, Ameri- know, I don't have anything for that. The American I, the dream. The feminine mystique. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's do this. So they sequel bait at the end of American yes. Tale. It's in the trailer. And then they're like, and now he does go west. And, and this is what happens. So he, yeah, they're on the train. 
uh, Tiger. By the way, Tiger is just. It's. I love the fact that Tiger is Fievel's friend. Yeah. He's like that. They've stayed friends, and that he like considers him his best friend. And, yeah. And that's so cute. And Tiger. Okay, and he has so a girlfriend. Tiger has a girlfriend. I'm so happy yeah. for him. Who He's so sweet. Is voiced. Oh, Amy by Amy Irving. Irving who? who was an ex-wife yeah. of Steven Spielberg. But they were yes. divorced at the time. She went on this. to play uh, Emily Sloan, who happens to be Arvin Sloan's wife in the television show Alias, which, as many of my friends know, is my favorite show of all time. <laughs> so just wanted to knock that out there anyway. And she Continue. was also the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit in oh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I didn't know that. Which is another connect with Am- with Amblem's previous animation effort. Um, and uh, although... Is weird because it said that she was the singing voice, but not the talking voice. The talking hmm. voice was somebody, but she was the singing. So sorry. So Amy Irving did the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit, but Kathleen Turner was the speaking voice, and oh. it said that she wasn't credited. I have to check and see if huh. like she wasn't credited as the speaking voice of Jessica Rabbit. But oh, weird. Um, but in this movie, in Five Goes West. Amy Irving was both the was the main voice of of Miss Kitty, Miss Kitty, <laughs> um, which is funny because it's like, what is it about her that she needs to keep playing like these dan these like these performer characters, very voluptuous, voluptuous performers? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Miss Kitty has one of the best lines in the whole movie, which is like, how can I say? It? She's breaking up. She's breaking up with Tiger because she's going west. She's like, how can I say it? I just want a cat that's more like a dog, <laughs> which is so great. Which plays into the movie which, later. Yeah. And which literally plays into the movie mm-hmm. later. So Tiger's already lost his girlfriend, and then he loses his best friend, both yeah. to the West. Aww. So Tiger, what is he to do other than chase after them in wacky hijinks? Yeah, in the most slapsticky like sequence, which of also any of these ends up being a lot like the second Pirates of the Caribbean film, which feels very <laughs> problematic, where he ends up you know meetings with a native american mouse tribe Ooh. that yeah. then sees him as a god because uh. he just happens to be in the shape of like a spirit return rocks. of the jedi yeah <laughs> oh return of the jedi was in my throat you're right yeah. yeah i'm sorry i had a i had a weird return of the jedi that was stuck yes. in my that's yeah it's so funny um <laughs> no i i just want to point out it's it's not only ever that like that it's a it's a weird trope like i don't know why that is it's like you find indigenous people but you do something from your world or like and then so they for, worship you uh, for some reason they but then he doesn't do anything yeah. it's literally like he happens he just to looks be like in the a rock sil- he looks like a rock he looks like the silhouette <laughs> of a rock behind him and they think it's there's there's a significance to it but he decides to stay like he and five will find each other after a really funny sequence of them actually passing each other much earlier on in the film both in a mirage Mirage-laden state. Both thinking they're mirages. Both thinking they're mirages. And you think you what's great about that moment is you think that they're gonna be like, oh, like 15 seconds yeah. later and they're gonna turn around and run mm-hmm. to each other, but they don't. They just keep going. They just yeah. keep on walking. But when they do find each other, um, they uh he promises Fievel he will find him and like follow him after, but of course he doesn't because he's being treated like a god. Uh, and that's where that uvula shot comes in there. <laughs> yes, because he almost swallows him, so he hangs on the uvula and then he coughs him out. And also, then you hear a cash register sound when he coughs him out. The sound design in this film, yeah, very like Looney Tunes. Yeah, yeah, is so great. And yes, like you said earlier, slapsticky. And uh, but then Fievel, uh makes his way to Green River by running by taking a tumbleweed. <laughs> 
to to roll to the town to to the theme rawhide. the theme to rawhide and apparently for this movie they used the blues brothers version huh. so that's john belushi and dan Aykroyd oh, I didn't singing know that. i think that's amazing so which made me look back at the blues brothers scene where they're singing the theme from rawhide and huh. it's hilarious because they're just in i think they're in texas and they're singing some other song and then everyone starts booing them and just throwing bottles at the at the because they've got like a gate in front of them because people throw bottles in this bar, apparently is a common thing that happens. And so none of the people like the song they were singing. And then they turn like, okay, well, should we just do, all right, do you remember the theme to Rawhide? Yeah, let's do that. And so they just start singing that. And then everybody starts to go like, yeah, but then they keep throwing bottles. <laughs> it's great. It's great. But this was just, you know, being the, one of the first films I saw as a kid, that was the first time I'd ever heard that song. Same and here. Yeah. And uh, James Horner's uh, uh, score heavily references later on in the film uh, a piece by Aaron Copeland called Rodeo, which is one of the most like uh, revered pieces of like Americana music ever. And it's so close to Rodeo. It's like notes off and just enough to not be there, suable. There is a ton of live motifs in this movie as you were pointing out I, like did you hear the the good the bad and the ugly one yeah it's very subtle Ooh. but you hear it once like well, that's and funny. that's it i didn't mention you I only hear it that. like one time oh i hit the window <laughs> <laughs> you only hear it once in the whole movie and then i don't think you ever hear it again but no. there's tons of things it's like so that. brilliant and then you know five makes his way back learns about the plot against you know he knows about the plot against the the mice so he decides because basically like Catarwall's goal is he's going to gather all of the mice in one into it's so elaborate. <laughs> it's yeah, like, but that's so why elaborate. it works is because it's almost like a Python-esque plot that, that John Cleese <laughs> is throwing. To get them into what looks like stands and then they're going to like it's actually they're a mousetrap. Oh, but like the way that's shown in the movie isn't it the tarantulas drawn it or what? Oh. It, like, <laughs> who is also animated. a great character? Oh, John, John Lovitz. Lovitz which John I didn't love it. I didn't realize till later. I didn't that realize was him. that either. Basically, he's like the you know the, the parallel character to TR, TR or not. That's not the right word for it, but you know what I mean. Uh, to he's the lackey baddie, the cockroach to the cockroach, yeah. but so much more developed. He's yeah. so creepy. <laughs> I mean again. I say you're cheating. You played your last hand, Chula. I don't think so. I got seven more. Dog chow. Well, you dirty rock and roll, Dale. I got seven more. <laughs> and he's got like all these aces that he's hiding. Yeah, he's a really eccentric, weird character, and I I love that they kind of just went crazy with him a little he's bit. He's like a character out of he's like, he is like a character out of Reservoir Dogs a little bit. <laughs> if you mixed Reservoir Dogs with who frame Roger Rabbit? Yes. Reservoir spiders. Uh, but uh, you asked, it's funny because you asked, do tarantulas eat mice? And then I, I did look it up. They can. Large tarantulas can eat rodents. Yes, they can. So that's canon. And Fievel's a small rodent, he too. Is, so. He's a small rodent. So, um, the itsy bitsy spider bit off the mousey's head. <laughs> it's so dark. It's But it's funny and it's. It's that's why it's palatable to kids. I think it's like I watched that as a kid. And I was a very sensitive child, as in could not finish. The Lion King was wailing, crying mm. in the middle of it. My parents had to take me out of the theater once when Mufasa died. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought it was very disturbing. Uh, but this like is very creepy. But I thought it was fine. Like did not weird me out. It just it just walks up to that line. Yeah. But doesn't quite cross it. 
but is he the one showing the plan who had or maybe it's one of the cats but one of them like when they're explaining the plan they actually have a flip book animation oh, yes. of the blueprints that they're like flump that they're just like flipping through very slowly and it's like wait you animated all like the character in the in the actual movie actually animated so this good. to like it's show so good. it's animation within animation i have do. to imagine the spider did that animation because he has so many hands he did <laughs> it able faster. to do it that yeah. fast yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that i don't know it just tickled me that to see that part um, oh but i also think what made this movie maybe less scary is that i think there's kind of a cartoony thing that they do where characters can't really get hurt a lot like mm. so much happens to tiger where he should have like he gets he hit by died. a train and like he's he by gets, another train yeah he falls off a cliff and it's all kind of funny and it's like people you know our animals can't really get it, hurt yeah if you really want to see what i'm talking about with the uh who from roger rabbit thing go look at these shorts like the tummy trouble and the mm -hmm. the other two uh short films that they did as like after they did who from roger rabbit that are t just nothing but roger rabbit getting hurt in slapstick mm. situations very much reminded me of the whole train sequence with tiger at the beginning <laughs> just all the things that happened to him uh, it feel or even when he's training with widely burp later like it just that stuff feels very similar in timing um but yeah i i <laughs> it is it's a bit much you feel like he should be dead to some degree right but i think that's <laughs> what makes it that's what makes it funny <laughs> wait but wait dax you so you watch this movie a lot growing up yes too, right i think i watched it way more than the first mm -hmm. one i don't I, but i've seen the first one as well i i probably had that kid reaction of like the second one's more fun yeah yeah it's similar this i would almost compare this to the rescuers and the rescuers yeah. down under not just because yeah. of the mice but because the tonal shift yeah, for sure the tonal once again shift of it's, it being, it's where it, one person did the first one and then somebody else did the sequel yeah. so Although Glenn Keane animated the kids in both those films. Probably. Oh, interesting. But, the, um, but yeah, the second one is much more of an adventure. And I think as a kid, I liked the second one more for that as well. But yeah. then as an adult, when I look back at the first one, I was kind of, I, I saw more to like about the somberness of the first one yeah a bit and well, yeah same I, with this i think i definitely liked five Old goes west more as a kid definitely watched it more more familiar with it but as an adult i don't know i've gotten to a point where i can't have too much stuff going on like i like slower things now i don't know i feel bad about <laughs> there's that there's a lot there, going on in this movie there for are sure. certain movies i can't even admit it on this podcast but there's some movies recent movies that everyone loves and i don't like because it's just there's too much going on visually and it i can't focus yeah. oh Funnily enough, I found on, I just want to say where I found this in case it's not true, but it was an American com or something. <laughs> right. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're, of course. <laughs> like they didn't, they didn't source, they didn't put a source for this. So I don't know if it's true, but apparently they're saying that Don Bluth expressed dislike of Five Goes West and hmm. said he can't follow the story. I, again, I didn't find I a source so. for that, so I don't know if that's true. I, but I don't find the story difficult. I actually to follow. think it might be too simple. Yeah, to yeah. I think it's, it's easy to follow, but I understand kind of what he means. Is there's so much going on, it kind of just keeps going. It's like there's never a point where they're like, "Oh, let's not go west." They're just like, "Well, we're we got chased out. Okay, <laughs> let's get yeah. on the train. No, okay, that. our kids lost, but let's keep going." There should be a little more pathos, maybe, maybe somehow. Yeah, that, Although, that but I, I can think, see. I think there is pathos though, but maybe it's not in the characters it needs to be. Because I would say... We don't really get the pathos till Wiley Burp shows up. And then it's like... Wiley Burp... I would say Catarwall to some degree. Yeah. Which, I was going to say Tilly. 
Just because I, I mean, I guess because she has Tilly the or most. Tanya. Tanya, whatever. <laughs> and we should, <laughs> try, we we should talk about her story Tanya. because she yeah. becomes kind of a focal point in this film where, you know, they, they had out West, and for her, her dream is to become a singer. And she hopes to be taken seriously and she's sadly singing and Catterwall hears her singing while trying to eat her brother yes <laughs> and then it gives him pause and Fievel gets away but and he, he also has pause yeah. he eats her brother <laughs> Put in no, a he, tries to, there. he tries to eat her brother <laughs> but then you're saying but then you know he's entranced by her singing and he you know, finds her and there's like like that really precious moment where you were talking about where he kind of his hand dances with yeah. her, like as like a the same sizes of of this tiny little mouse. They kind of almost like waltz together. Um, and when and when he picks her up, there are, there are tears in his eyes. Yes, he's he's crying like he like not not sobbing, but he has like he's and I kind of adore this mm -hmm. about him that and it's just something that and John Cleese plays it really really well where he. He is this villain. He has this goal, this plan in mind, but he's a villain with some kind of depth and appreciation. And it's it's almost like how Alex in Clockwork Orange loves um, Beethoven, right? Mm -hmm. I think. It's not Mozart. It's Beethoven, right? I don't know. I don't remember. I I've think it's never Beethoven. Seen Clockwork Orange. So. It's Clockwork Orange. I think it's Beethoven. Yeah. But, but where he loves Beethoven, some yeah. connection emotionally to something. Well, he's not just a villain. He's also right. like he has this weird appreciation of of this higher thing, and so, and to the point that he he then sets aside this like kind of desire to eat mice <laughs> because he's so entranced by how beautiful like. But he it it is a little two sided. And what this is why I like this film is it's not just that. It's like he can profit off of her and i think that goes to show it's a whole other level of it's not just like in the first film which more straightforward they just want to eat the mice he wants to use them for labor and exploit them and this is he does and it goes to show and i think it's an analog that's the word i was looking for earlier it's an analog for our culture and how the people in power and the cultures in power and the races in power will oftentimes you know uh, exploit the talents of the people that are persecuted in the society for their own gain they may oh, yeah. love the culture but they're also using the culture and they're not doing anything to actually uplift it so yes i'm using this as a comparison to our society i'm no, using right. fabulous but it's but that's why it's like yes he has that heart but it's also only only to the point where it serves him it's it, it never it never reaches um empathy it never reaches uh selflessness it's just i find this beautiful and also great i can then you know, it. this moves me and I think it'll move other people so I can, I can, you know, make money off of, I can exploit her, her talents. That's it's an inter yeah, kind that's of fucked true. up when you really think about it. It is. <laughs> well, and again, he's a villain. Yeah. <laughs> also, good job with the proportions in this film. The much cat is much bigger than the, the, his hand would be the size of a mouse. That's how big mice are. So yeah. you would not confuse him for a rat. Um, Correct. Yeah. It was Beethoven. 
Uh, <laughs> but then, yeah, so then she's, but, but, he, he's entranced by her and he takes her to Miss Kitty and he's like, you're going to make her a star, basically. Yeah. But he, and I love, he does something there where he's like, because cause she's saying, you'll be laughed off the stage. And, and he's like, they'll love her. And it's so genuine the way he does it. Like the, the lover and those who don't will answer to me. Like he, that was a really good reading. Grits his teeth yeah, while he while he says that. And it's just so funny. It's just like <laughs> if people don't love her, I'll make them love her. So it's. But I feel like without that, you lose a lot of his character and just kind of his likability or his appeal. That's an important thing for a villain to have is appeal. There should be some appeal. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Like. You know, they're not just um, doing the bad thing. Um, and <laughs> I forgot to mention. No, I just remembered one of the best things about that about Catterwall is the scene where he gets scared and then leaps out of his clothes through the boards into the like place upstairs where the humans are. And this very breast, big breasted woman like <laughs> yeah. hugs him, you know, just like holds him really tight. And then he finally gets out, falls After back After getting, down. like, basically, like, squished into her <laughs> cleavage, which is very, I think, risque. I mean, look, pretty, boobs shouldn't be risque, but let's face it, they were. It's a risque moment. And then falls back down. And his clothes, which are still suspended <laughs> in midair by, by Tex Avery logic, yeah. falls straight back into them. Yep. Into, like, how he was. It's, it, it's just so perfectly done and... and perfectly uses cartoon logic mm -hmm. in this in this just yeah. really funny way a lot of cartoon logic in this movie which again <laughs> i think watching them back to back it was so obvious and it's not that i don't like it it's just like oh it's it's different and it's, it's different. hard to kind of switch yeah. your brain right immediately to realizing these are the rules of this movie but i will say i think that they're i'm not going to say that the birdcage ripped off five goes west <laughs> oh, but no. the, the sequence the sequence where, because the, the idea is that they need a dog to scare off the cats, right? So he goes to, Fievel goes to Wiley Burp and he's like, you need to get me a dog. He goes to Jimmy Stewart. He, he, yeah. he, yes, he goes to Jimmy Stewart. He's like, hey, how do we get rid of the cats? And he's like, get me a dog. And he comes back with Tiger. <laughs> he gets he convinces Tiger to come back and save the town. Not not because he's a good cat, because Miss Kitty is waiting. He right. like has kept some of the scent. One another great thing, some <laughs> yeah. of her perfume scent in his hat, and he releases it once he takes his hat off. And then that's what convinces Tiger to come back. And it's a cat. The scent is like a cat that comes yes. up and like kisses him. Before, it's so great. Before we get too much into Tiger's training, though. I do want to touch on like for well that's gonna be my birdcage so, so just in case you forget just in case you I'm guys just, now where you're going yes with this. <laughs> the, the the uh but for Jimmy Stewart this was his last movie and there's like a lovely clip of him with Spielberg because Spielberg apparently oversaw the the voicing sessions with Jimmy Stewart like Aww. he he made sure he was there for those mm. and he was there for other ones too but like I think he was like for all the for that one he was like no I'm I'm here while Jimmy Stewart's going to give us dialogue so. Um, there's a cute moment where he says from, from, from a wonderful life to, uh, and Jimmy Stewart's like a, a, a sleeping dog or something <laughs> like that. And, and it's just, it's so adorable, but he plays it with such pathos. And there was a line that had us, you want to pull it up? Cause it's like, it, it had us like laughing, laughing so hard, so hard uh... where Wiley Burb does the longest string of dog puns. Oh, in, yeah. In, and he treats it completely seriously. You wonder if that was improv or written. As though, yeah. So, I mean, you just got to hear it. 
Let this sleeping dog lie, son. Doggone it, I'm dog tired. Tired of leading the dog's life and fighting like cat, like cats and dogs <laughs> against, against cats, cats and, and dogs. A young pup's dog on my trail trying to become top dog. I'm going to the dogs in a dog-eat-dog world, son. I'm, I'm so far over the hill, I'm on the bottom of the other side. The bottom of the other side. <laughs> I'm so far over the hill. I'm on the bottom of the other side. Oh, brilliant, Jimmy Stewart. But they they then do the training sequence, which is <laughs> it feels so much like in the Birdcage yeah. when Robin Williams has to try to get Nathan Lane to act more masculine. <laughs> and that's basically what this is. That's basically what this is. It is Wiley Burp trying to teach a cat how to be a dog. And he's just like, his roughs are like, rough. Well, even Burp him goes, walking, it's so wow. dainty. Yeah. And then when he tries to growl, my favorite one is he tries to growl and he starts growling. Like, and then it just turns into a purr. And then he like falls back languishing in this little like, like on the track of the, whatever that pulley board thing is. And he's just swinging back and forth, just going like purring the whole time. So cute. It's, it, but it, but it's, it's a sequence, that sequence of him purring, like it literally takes like 15 seconds of like growl to purr. And it's such a great payoff but but that reminded me so much of the birdcage and i realized yeah the birdcage came out after so yeah. i'm just i'm not uh. saying the birdcage ripped off you know five goes west but who i knows? mean training but, montages are pretty pretty sweet right and who better to be trained by than than jimmy stewart as a, a past his prime dog sheriff yeah. like and again i just envision him in this in the sound booth reading these lines it just kind of warms my heart that yeah. they made him say all these things he's <laughs> and, such a sweet man and uh you gotta bark. <laughs> and it's like, uh, but the Tiger becomes a dog mm-hmm. for all intents and purposes. He learns to dog. He learns to dog up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and he, what's up, dog? What's up, dog? Um, what's up, dog? <laughs> and he learns to do the lazy eye, which, as far as the I can tell, is just like freaking people out with your eyes in their sockets. Oh, that yeah. was also. A... I I tried to do that as a kid <laughs> so many times. I would stand in front of the mirror and try to make my eyes pop out of their sockets oh because of this film. That was a super Roger Rabbit moment where, like, do you remember what it looks like when they give Roger Rabbit whiskey? Oh yeah. And he's like. <laughs> He starts going crazy and uh-huh. like his eyes start popping. It felt very similar to that for me. Like the whole, the way he kind of, his face starts contorting <laughs> disturbingly. Um, I guess that would scare people off. It would. It and it does. Yeah. yeah. It provenly does later in the movie. <laughs> but so yeah, they, they, they go to thwart Catterwall's plot and, and they um, do it pretty easily. They do it pretty easily. It's almost, I feel like I understand when people say like maybe the climax feels tacked on yeah. because it's like, oh, we got to have a fight of some kind. We got to conclude this. Whereas American Tales, I mean, American Tale did that too, though. Like we have this big cat monster thing or mouse thing that's chasing away the cats. And this one, it's sort of similar that it's just, we got to defeat the cats. But yeah, uh, they could have just dropped a boulder on them instead of, de- I don't know, like. <laughs> and then you just can't saved. get past the convolutedness of so. Catterwall's plan. Yeah, that, a little, fair. but I, I guess that's, that's just his, that's just who he is. And then and then Tanya saves them because he doesn't want to squish her. So, she, you know, she ends up kind of being the actual savior yeah. of all these mice. And uh, there's a really sweet moment. It, it dawned on me that I think that this was like, we were kind of part of this generation where she looks after everybody saved she has all of her performance makeup on and she looks down into the water 
and yes, she splash. Yes. It's one of my favorite shots. Is that she takes the water and it's and it follows her up to her face and then she places it back down into the water and then her reflection is without makeup mm. yeah. and it's so beautifully done and it's I think that was like a I, honestly I like as a little as a little girl as a it's like you don't need makeup. It was mm. like a clear thing of like, she, she is beautiful either way. And yeah. I don't think that was like a, a, a theme in a lot of movies yeah. for our no. generation. I as remembered kids. that. So really it was very strongly. prominent. It was very, yeah. It was like, you don't have to do this to be who you want to be. Cause, and I cause yeah, was that, wonderful. Yeah. That's kind of her arc is, is yeah. She, you know, and she even pushes five away earlier, I think when, yeah. or like she, treats him like someone who is like trying to get an autograph she, yeah from so her. she yeah she writes him an autograph because he's trying to ask for help and she's just like Phew. and she's become diva she's become the diva is the girl you left behind out there tonight romancing making eyes at someone else and singing is she dancing oh the girl you left behind you dream of when you're sleeping puts the teardrops in your eyes from secrets she is keeping half fiddlers play a tune and dance the whole night away hope the girl you left behind will be there for you By the way, Catterwalt, this is again why I like Catterwalt, like to some degree, he doesn't want to kill them because she's there. Mm, and yeah. it's like he cares enough about her, which you could argue, yeah, maybe it's money right. thinking, but I think I think I, there's enough of him caring genuinely about Yeah, I think her. he actually really does like her singing, obviously. Oh, I read that Tanya was originally supposed or at least in the comic that was made after this, she was supposed to have like a boyfriend, but they huh. may like I don't know if that was supposed to be in the original script for the film, but that they kind of got rid of that possibly. It's not needed. Which I is nice. That, yeah, me too. It's literally just her arc of wanting to be, you know, a star and then realizing that she didn't need, she didn't need that. And yeah. The, and uh, Miss Kitty tells her, uh, there's the lovely line where it's just like, you can be whatever you want. It's kind of, it's kind of a generic line, but it's just, right. you can be whatever you want to be. If you just believe in yourself, kid. And yeah. I, yeah, it's nice that it comes full circle and it's fulfilled by the end of the film. And again, she has like the stronger mm -hmm. presence in the movie. Yes. All the girls that leave behind could fill up California. Just don't leave them too darn long. I think I don't warn you. Absence makes the heart go cold and makes the heart to wander. If you stay there by their side, you'll feel their hearts go fonder. Hope you see her someday. Oh, I find my way back to the 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 water finally trickles down and it does <laughs> magically, magically, magically terraforms turn, <laughs> terraforms and while they're all celebrating uh you know Fievel looks out to find Wiley Burp and sees Wiley Burp's out off in the distance and uh uh delivers and while and Jimmy Stewart delivers one of the most like beautiful touching lines it's like I mean, one might argue if you didn't like this film, too beautiful for this movie, but also <laughs> I think beautifully fitting, which um, just remember, Fievel, one man's sunset is another man's dawn. I don't know what's out there beyond those hills, but if you ride yonder, head up, 
eyes steady, heart open. I think one day you'll find that you're the hero you've been looking for. Ah. Mm. Ah, and that's how the film closes. How, how appropriate for also this being that's the that's Jimmy Stewart's yeah. final line in a movie. Oh, yeah, it's kind of weird that it's so poetic. It's but, yeah. so poetic. Um, and uh, yeah, this this was a a strange surreal feeling going through this again and and just remembering all these moments that would suddenly pop into my brain as from when I was younger and I, mm. I, I yeah that some of the some of the imagery in this film even if maybe you don't think it's as complicated as it could be does stand out and it's clear that artistry went into everything about it and as far as sequels go to a film that never really needed a sequel even though it hinted at one you know it hinted at one it's <laughs> Very interesting. Um, I don't know if I should bring this up, but <laughs> I kind of want to, which is, and I just, this is more of a technical thing, but I'm glad that there's a, there's a couple other things I want to denouement with, which is uh, apparently there was a, a scribble of a phallus at one point a in penis? this movie. Yes, I was trying to be more <laughs> correct about we it. We say penis there is a on penis this podcast. Doodle. There is a penis doodle penis. It, that was in notoriously in this movie. And what? it might upset you to know where it was. What? Because it was as Tanya is being carried in by Catterwall, when her mouth is open, someone had scribbled in a small penis drawing. Come on. On man. one frame of the show. And Wait, and it made it into theaters this way? I don't know, but it was present on the VHS and DVD. Oh my God. That means it probably did. Well, so I'm not sure if it was something that somebody producing the film oh, had thrown true. it in or if it was someone in dvd authoring mm. or vhs or when they were making that version because it looks it's really crudely inserted it's like not well drawn at I all i can't imagine also yeah. just yeah can we just acknowledge tanya's a child she's a child yeah. she's a mouse a but very, she's like probably supposed to be 15 it's a years very, old the equivalent of like a, 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 te- a like a proper teenage child yeah that is disgusting. It's, yeah. yeah, it's very inappropriate. And um, but on the Blu-ray version, it is gone. And I oh, remember good. I looked at it. Well, I knew to look for it in that scene, <laughs> but I watched it twice to make sure. And then I frame by frame through it. And yeah, it's it's removed oh, in the Blu-ray. I wonder and if it's I, on the DVD version. I have. It might or might not be because that DVD looks like it has the same cover as the Blu-ray. So it That's might have true. been a release, a, a DVD, later one. a later DVD release. But if you have the old VHS. Um, that it was it was apparently on there but you can't i mean you can't really see it unless you're looking for it yeah. but it, it it is like one of those things where i'm like okay i'm glad they took that out because yeah. that's kind of annoying and huh. it's, it's just it's just a juvenile thing to have thrown in there um but i wanted to mention it because it is kind of it was a somewhat infamous thing that like, yeah happened. and wildly inappropriate um, yeah but uh you can't trust can't trust anybody they'll no. try and sneak in what they can um, but I had one question, which I don't know if you remember this. Did you ever go to the Universal Studios Fievel, uh land? Land that was <laughs> in Fievel land. There was Wait, a Fievel section well, of you, Universal Studios. Only so you grew up in Colorado, right? Yeah. So I didn't go to Universal Studios until I was in my twenties. So okay. I I didn't have uh, I didn't the the only theme park that I really went to was Disney World when I was ten. And then I didn't go to Disneyland until I was 18. And I didn't go to Universal Studios until, yeah, I was in my 20s. Because I went to Universal Studios as a kid, but probably maybe not as often as you, Dax, because you grew up down here and I grew up up north. But I definitely went to Universal Studios 
in the 90s and i don't remember that at all and i remember a lot five it was like yeah there was yeah i I mean that makes me so sad it was (laughs) (laughs) they still have it they still have it at universal studios orlando apparently but they're they're getting rid of it to put nintendo land or something are they yeah that's what i read road trip yeah (laughs) right now Um, let's go Studios is pleased to have you with us today. Join us now in welcoming the stars of our show from the hit Universal Motion Picture, An American Tale, and the upcoming An American Tale 2, Fievel Goes West, Tony, Bridget, Tanya, and Fievel. remember that I assuming <laughs> assuming I saw that I'm sure I would have if I had gone to Universal Studios anytime during that time I do not remember it do you remember it I I yeah like I I remember it pretty vividly huh. um, I had not been in a, a God, well it closed down well did you like, go a lot as a kid since you lived nearby or or no my mom uh, knew someone who was actually able to get us like free passes oh, nice. to go to Universal Studios a lot. So hmm. we tended to go there more than more than I think most because I think I don't know if they had like the annual pass things at at the time, but I, I think we went there more than someone normally would. <laughs> but I remember Fievel's Playland was huh. just this kind of surreal place where everything was built to make you feel small. There were bizarre shows that would play. And uh, you could get pictures taken with some of the characters. I wonder what replaced it. Oh, yeah. oh, it was, um, it was, uh, oh, I, I know this. Oh, it was Despicable Me. Or something like that. Yeah, I'm trying so to that's even pretty remember recent. where it was. I guess. I think I feel like it was replaced before then by it, something It may have been. Or maybe it, that it's, it was where Despicable Me is now. So maybe that's not what replaced it, but it was in that area. That's what I read. Huh. Yeah. Hmm. But I was just wondering if if either of you had experience with it, well, or had like ever heard of it or been to no, it. No, never even never even the, heard of it. The funny thing is, is that I don't remember a lot from well, from like even more than a week ago. But uh, my mom right now is going through a bunch of old photo albums, and it's funny because she's going in like chronological order. I guess that's how the albums are organized, and she's kind of like or- reorganizing them or something. But it's funny because she she's been sending me pictures of me as a baby and stuff, and she sent me one. Uh, she got up to like 1988 and she sent a picture. I'll just, I'm not going to say what it is because it's going to be relevant for a future episode. But if you know what came out that year, uh, there's a picture of my brother and I holding certain toys for a certain movie. <laughs> and I was like, I do not remember that at all. So I'm hoping that when she gets to like the 90s, when we were going to Universal Studios, because we don't. We have a lot of photos, oddly enough. Right. I'm hoping that she'll find a picture of me with like somebody dressed as Fievel, and I will not remember that having happened at oh all. God, but if amazing. that does happen, by the time this comes out, we'll put that on our, on our social media. If we track it, <laughs> if I track it down, if my mom and I can find it, I'll also put up because I'm pretty sure there's some picture of me with either Tiger or Fievel, oh like someone God. in a costume. You gotta, I gotta somewhere. see it. Yeah, I gotta I, see it. I will do my best to to work through the archives and find it. But I just looked it up, and that um, it was replaced in '90. 
at, oh, at okay. Universal Studios oh, wow. in Hollywood. So sometime way back. So it wasn't I, there that long. Yeah. yeah. It was, well, I was there. I guess it was there for, well, because it says oh, it came out. 91? Yeah. So like six years? It's a six year period that it was there. Because I remember so much. I remember the Back to the Future ride. So I know I was going to Universal Studios. I remember going on the Jurassic Park ride, then going on Backdraft to dry yourself off. Like, I remember all this, but I do not remember this weird stage show. <laughs> and I don't know if they, it was the same in... in Maybe it was at, so disturbing you blocked it <laughs> I blocked out. it out. <laughs> I wonder how similar it was if they had that same song that they... Like I, your brain was just like, <laughs> Fievel and Gloria Stefan does not compute and it just like shut it out. <laughs> Doesn't I hope work. so. <laughs> so, uh, oh, on, oh, well, I have more things. Oh, you have more things. Yeah, I do. Oh, well, just goodness. a couple sh- small things. One is that there was a Super Nintendo game which I just <laughs> discovered yesterday. Uh, that was like a you know your usual like side scroller, you know Mario ish. I don't know. Is that a la- am I allowed to use that? I think so. That term? Yeah, uh, but it kind of it starts out in New York and then there's like a whole playthrough on YouTube. Somebody played through the entire game, so it's like a 30 minute video. Uh, and yeah, it starts out in like New York and then there's a part where he's in the desert and then you get to, uh, to green, what was it called? River? Green River. Green yeah. River. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Cause I, I mean, we were a super Nintendo family and we did not have that game. So, uh, and apparently there was also a game on Game Boy Advance that came out in 2002. Really? Yeah. There was a Game Boy Advance game in 2002. That's interesting. Uh, one interesting thing that I want to end my notes on is that I was looking for, cause there's a lot of merch for this film, which is understandable. And I happened to kind of get, uh, I kind of got to, got sucked into like Etsy stuff. Cause oh there are a lot goodness. of like, <laughs> but I found the creepiest thing and I sent it to myself in an email cause I knew I had to bring it up and the subject line is scary exclamation point. But somebody had listed, you know how, you can go to like you can go to like Joanne's Fabrics and you can buy patterns to sew things like skirts and dresses. Yeah. So you can also get patterns for costumes for Halloween or whatever. Apparently there was a Simplicity, which is a brand of patterns. There was a Simplicity pattern for Fievel Goes West costumes. And they are so creepy. Oh, my God. Oh, my oh goodness. God. <laughs> no. no. They even have the baby. Yeah. That's so weird. It's so creepy and amazing. And I'm guessing there must have been more toy tie-ins for this one than, uh, than an American tale. Well, I would just like to say sorry to our listeners that this episode went for three hours because <laughs> i'm not sorry we, we knew it would happen we kind of knew it might because there was so much to go over and talk about um i guess like closing thoughts for me i i feel like again uh american tale is this lovely aesthetic about it rustic and then mm-hmm. fievel goes west is just very articulate well done um Fievel, I think Philip Glasser's performance is better. I think he's a slightly better actor. He's mm-hmm. also, I mean, let's be real. He's he's older. The kid's yeah. five years older than he right. was. Before. Yeah. So I think like there's just nice improvements for me. Like I feel like Fievel Goes West does improve on a lot of things. Uh, maybe not every single thing, but I do think it like it certainly is nothing to turn your nose at. Yeah. And uh, it's nothing to give the lazy eye to. And hey. uh, the lazy. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about uh, Annalise about the score for Five Goes West? I know, like we already covered a lot of like the light motifs and everything. Did you catch the putting on the Ritz? 
Yes, you probably where yeah. the, the skeleton is dancing. <laughs> uh, it's but, just I don't know. I mean, it's just beautiful, you guys. Just listen to it. Just it's. I think what's hard is that oftentimes that scores for animated features tend to be overlooked, hmm. um, as animated features tend to be oftentimes narratively, and, and um, it's a shame. I'm glad at least now they're inserting more into the best uh, best feature or best film category in the Oscars, but. I, I just think that this is one of the most beautiful pieces of me. If you just sat down and listened to it and no one told you what it was from, I, I, you'd be like, what is this? Like Schindler's list. I don't know. It's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous. So just listen to it. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of stuff, yeah. um, but thank you. If you stuck it out and listened to the very end, um, Sarah, where can people, Oh my God, we're where can there. People find you. Me, myself. Personally, I am on Instagram at Sarah Iyer. I'm on Twitter at Sarah Angelie Iyer. Also, you can check out my other podcast, The Percast, if you don't know what that is. Where Hello. have you been? Yeah. How <laughs> did you find this podcast? I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I think actually, because my other podcast launched around the same time as this one, Weezer has turned and left us here. If you like Weezer, Yay! we talk about how weird Weezer is Yay. and how much we used to like them and not so much anymore. So <laughs> check that out. And uh, Annalise, uh, what would you like to plug? Oh, man, all the things. Uh, you can find me at La La Lonalise on all of the things, including Spotify. I'll add that one in Ooh. there because I make playlists for my podcast, Popular Music, in which Omar Najam and I sit down and we talk about pop songs and why they're great. And uh, yeah, you can find my music at anabot.bandcamp.com and uh but yeah if you follow me on on twitter or instagram you'll probably see some music theory memes that no one understands <laughs> and uh but they're funny to me so uh that's what my education bought me was the ability to Ooh. laugh at obscure music theory memes also we never mentioned that we're all gauchos we are, we are all, all gauchos, gauchos. yeah, yeah. All olay, Argentinian olay. cowboys, <laughs> I, I guess. Hey, hey. Dax, where the hell are you? I'm at Dax Schaefer, D-A-X-S-E-H-A-F-F-E-R, on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. I don't use Tumblr. LinkedIn, <laughs> MySpace, Friendster. Any, anywhere there's a thing, I'll be there with my <laughs> handle. Um, but you can find, find me on IG or, or Twitter. And um, you can follow us. Well, you can email us. You can email us. At thewholebluth at gmail.com. We might read your email in an upcoming episode. And, and as we did at the top yeah, of this one. If you forgot, because it's been a while. <laughs> that was three hours. That email burned down three hours ago. And Why do we keep setting fire to things? And we're on Instagram at nothing but the bluth. So we and on Facebook at the bluth the whole oh, bluth yeah, we got the, but the bluth. we managed the whole the whole username that made you very happy it made me really happy that that has a 50 character limit <laughs> if anyone's wondering the reason we don't have a twitter is because the whole bluth was taken nothing but the bluth is too long and everything we came up with was too long we don't we don't feel like managing another twitter like just I follow think. the two of us on twitter, twitter. Everybody twitter sucks anyway <laughs> it does yeah shh Twitter sucks. <laughs> it's a hellscape, and um, we are a part of it. But yeah, f follow us on on any of those, and you'll see our shenanigans. I suppose. Oh yeah, and if you like us, we are on iTunes finally. <laughs> yeah, we ended up. No, it took only took a about a week. Half. It didn't take a whole month. But yeah, if you like us, rate and subscribe. We actually, we should have read. Uh, we do have a rating on iTunes. And Maybe I we can read those at the top. Oh of yeah, the next yeah. One instead of 
Yeah, the, instead of not <laughs> kindly reading it at the very, very end. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll definitely if we have more, we'll do a little section where we read people's iTunes iTunes reviews, even if you hate us. <laughs> yeah, if you, you hate us, suck. please leave a one star. I don't know. <laughs> hey, um, there's no such thing as bad publicity. But so, please leave us five stars if you like us. And uh, and do we have a sign? <laughs> oh, do um, we have a sign off? <laughs> let's just give them the lay. The lay. Here, son. I, I want you to have one of these. I can't. I'm not a hero like you. Well, <laughs> not really. Uh, maybe not. Maybe a real hero's the last one to hear about it. But you, you pulled me out of a gutter, and for that I owe you some thanks. Just, just remember, Fievel, one man's sunset is another man's dawn. I don't know what's out there beyond those hills. But if you ride yonder, head up, eyes steady, heart open, I think one day you'll find that you're the hero you've been looking for. I forgot to bring up sparkles again. <laughs> There's so many sparkles in this movie. His glasses sparkle. Everything sparkles. There's light everywhere oh, yeah, in all you, of these movies. You told me to remind you to bring that up, and, and I you forgot. Didn't. You failed me. <laughs> this is more like an American travesty. I thought you were saying American fail. An- uh- <laughs> <laughs>